Carol, thanks so much for coming on Rebellious. Hey, Bells. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you. Your story is insane, amazing, and needed. Absolutely. And I just want to tell you a quick story about your book here. Okay. So I bought this book. Um, I actually had a copy of it years ago, I think in like 2014. I lost it in my move, so I had to go buy another one on Amazon. So I bought it off Amazon, I had it delivered, and I had to travel uh, to see my sister. So I'm in the airport reading this book, but literally from afar, you're a black man in black on a black background. People are like, what is this crazy white girl reading? (laughs) Twilight Zone. right? Right, and I didn't realize, but some people were kind of giving me looks. And then I'm like, oh my God, it's the book cover. <laughs> so yeah, I think um, what, whatever you do to update this, I'm just maybe a different background. That's all. Just the background color. The picture is fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> just okay. so they know exactly you and, you know, right. who is this, by the way? Is this one of your friends? Yes. Uh, I now own that Robin Hood. Yes, I do. Oh, wow. And what was his name? Or is he like to remain anonymous? Yeah, he'll remain anonymous. That okay. One. Gotcha. Yeah. But he knows it's him on the cover. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, he remembers posing for the picture. <laughs> <laughs> so how many Klansmen or women have left because of your conversations with them? Okay. I would say uh, white supremacists, racists. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would say over 200. Wow. Um, probably between... 80 and 90 directly mm-hmm. and the rest indirectly. Cause you know, these people are followers. They join yeah. a group, they follow somebody into the group, one of their buddies, yeah. a leader who has recruited them or whatever. And when the buddy leaves or the leader leaves, uh-huh. they follow them that way too. So indirectly, you know, a lot more. Yeah. And then um, it's, it's hard to, I mean, initially when I first began doing this, yeah, I could keep track. I mm-hmm. have these robes and hoods and whatever else they give me. Yeah. Uh, swastika flags, if it's a neo-Nazi or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, over time, you know, they begin influencing other people and they get out and some of them I don't even know about. And then I get emails. Oh, yeah, you know, I used to be in the Klan and, you know, so-and-so uh, was a friend of yours and he got out and I followed him and da-da-da-da, that wow. kind of thing. Do you, So all the robes that are given to you or whatever memorabilia is given mm-hmm. to you, is it always in person or do you get stuff in the mail? I believe it or not. It used to be all in person. Okay. Now I get stuff in the mail from people. I don't even know. Somebody will wow. say, you know, they saw me on so-and-so's podcast or they saw my Ted talk or saw me on some TV show. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've been thinking a lot about, you know, what I've said, or this side or the other mm-hmm. and uh, want to know, you know, if I would like some of their things and I give them a PO box. And next thing I know, Boom, it's there. Like, so do you like actively get like every month or is it a couple times it's, a year? No, it, it, it's, it's staggered. Um, okay. It's not like every week I get something. Um, I get I get emails every week from people, yeah. you know, uh, searching, you know, can you help me with this? Can you answer some questions for me? I'm I'm on the fence about this side or the other. Right. And uh, next thing you know, they're, you know, they're on their way out. They send me a belt buckle or a robe, a hood, you know, yeah. whatever. How does the people that are still in the clan, how do they feel about you having this memorabilia? A lot of them don't like that. Is memorabilia the right word? I'm sorry if I'm paraphernalia, mis- memorabilia. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, their their organization <clears throat> attire or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because you know that's their uniform. Right. And you know what it stands for. And p- picture a U.S. general. Mm-hmm. 
all badges and stripes and so forth and so on, taking off that uniform and handing it to somebody from ISIS or the Taliban mm-hmm. or Al-Qaeda. That's essentially what they're doing. Yeah. That uniform stands for white supremacy. And the reason they're in that particular group, which was formed, are because of people like me, mm-hmm. Jewish people, other people that they don't particularly care for. And they're taking off that badge of honor and saying, I don't believe in this anymore, and I'm giving it to the very person who I hated, mm-hmm. which is why I was wearing it in the first place. Right. How does your family feel that you have all of this? Well, my family, uh, my my mom and dad are now gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom uh, was passing mm-hmm. at the time, you know, when I was first, you know, starting to write my book and things like that. But uh, my my dad was very proud of me. Mm-hmm. And he was he was concerned for my safety, of course. Yeah, definitely. But you know, my parents raised me. My parents raised me to. to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm-hmm. And my dad was a career diplomat. He traveled all around the world. His job was to foster better relations with foreign governments, with the U.S. government. You know, he worked yeah. at the State Department. So I picked up on a lot of that. And essentially, that's what I'm doing domestically right. with these people. I see. Can't, so you brought some today. I did. I was surprised. I didn't even ask you to do that. So I'm actually kind of excited. Well, you know, if you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the right, walk. Right, right. I am curious to see it. So can we see some? Sure. Yeah, let's I'm see good. some. Okay, so this here is the, I have a ton of these things. Okay. This is the robe of an imperial wizard. Yeah. Imperial, let me give you the hierarchy. Okay. Okay, today there is no such thing as the Ku Klux Klan. There are many Ku Klux Klan groups. Right. Okay, there used to be one Ku Klux Klan and chapters of that Ku Klux Klan all over the country. Got it. But they've had infighting and breakups and splinters. So now you have all these autonomous splinter KKK groups. Mm-hmm. So each one has an imperial wizard, which means national leader. Anybody who's on the imperial um, platform mm-hmm. is national. Wizard means top. I see. Which you and I would call the president who oversees all the states in which that particular Klan group Mm -hmm. has a chapter. Mm -hmm. So you might have the Dixie Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, the White Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, the Confederate Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. These are all independent Klan groups. Each one will have an imperial wizard, national leader, Mm -hmm. okay, who oversees all the states in which there is a chapter of that particular group. Right. So then a state leader, which you and I would call the governor, Mm -hmm. is known as the Grand Dragon. Anybody on the grand level means they are a state officer, dragon being the top, like governor. Mm-hmm. You have a, an imperial caliph, which would be like a vice president, a grand caliph, like mm-hmm. a lieutenant governor. Within the state, you have counties. The county leader is known as the great titan. Great mm-hmm. is the county level. And within the county, you have districts, what they call claverns. And a clavern leader is known as the exalted cyclops, mm-hmm. and, uh, which we would call a councilman, a mayor, okay. a selectman, something like that. And then within the county, I mean, at every level, you have secretary, treasurer, et cetera. Got it. And then right below the Cyclops is just plain white-robed uh, rank-and-file clansmen and clanswomen. This is uh, what is commonly called the blood drop emblem. Mm-hmm. They call it a mayoke, okay. mystic insignia of the clan. Mm. And so the clan claims to be a Christian organization, and so they use the cross. Mm-hmm. And if you see these black lines here, you see these diagonal lines and that straight line, that forms a K. You see four Ks. Mm. It stands for Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. The uh, the white cross, as I pointed out, means uh, they're a Christian organization mm-hmm. in their mind. And this red blood <laughs> in drop. Their mind, yes. <laughs> and this red blood drop means they will shed their blood to preserve the white race. Blue, 
uh, and purple mm-hmm. are the imperial colors. A, uh, an, imperial, an imperial wizard can wear whatever color he wants. Right. But typically, they, they would either wear, if you prefer cotton, you'd have a white cotton robe mm-hmm. with blue or purple adornments, a blue or purple sash or stripes and a cape. All right? Um, or you, if you prefer satin, you'd be a full blue satin robe or a full purple satin robe. It doesn't matter gotcha. uh, whether it's cotton or satin. Uh, if it's satin, the whole thing is blue or purple. If it's cotton, it's white with blue adornments or purple adornments. Um, and uh, green is the, uh, I, I have all kinds of robes, mm-hmm. so I have purple ones too. Green is the color for the, for the grand level. Okay. Right, so this belonged to a grand dragon. All right. He wears two myopes. Uh-huh. He has the American flag and the Confederate battle flag mm-hmm. on both sleeves. Okay, now, <clears throat> uh, you can also have a white robe with a green cape, green stripes, green sash. Mm-hmm. You preferred satin. All okay. right. I'm now, assuming these are not made in China. No, these, <laughs> these are not made in China. Um, now, this guy, he at one time was the Grand Dragon of Maryland. Okay. When I was a teenager, I, you know, I, I'd not met him. I knew who he was. I, I'd heard of him on the radio. He's always getting some kind of trouble mm-hmm. doing stuff. Well... He went to prison uh, for conspiring to bomb a synagogue in Baltimore, planted the bomb at the base of the synagogue, mm-hmm. all right? And he got busted. And so uh, he went to prison for four years. He's the Grand Dragon, all right, state leader. Yeah. He continued running the Klan from the prison through his Grand Clayleth, Lieutenant uh-huh. Dragon, on the outside, all right? And then after he served his four years, he got out, took over the Klan again, and continued— Mm-hmm. And a few years later, he got busted again. He went back to prison for assault with intent to murder two black men with a shotgun. And uh, so it was during this time that he was in prison mm-hmm. uh, that I started, you know, you know, writing my book. And I remembered him. And so I wrote him uh, some letters. Mm-hmm. said, hey, you know, um, I would like to interview you. I didn't tell him I was black. I just said, hey, you know, I'm writing a book on the Klan. Right. I've interviewed, I named some of his rival Klan members. Because, uh-huh. you know, any state can have several Klan groups. Mm-hmm. Now, if you see these Klan groups out in public together, mm-hmm. they will hold a united front. But behind closed doors, they are rivals with each other. We're the real Klan. You know, they're a wannabe. You know, there's a lot of yeah. rivalry, okay? You know, you know, once you get power, you know, people get jealous. They want to, you know, yeah. be the only one and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of that going on. So anyway, um, I, I, I uh, specifically named some of the rivals that he had mm-hmm. in Maryland that, who I had uh, interviewed. Right. So to make him want to you know, have his say also. Mm-hmm. So he wrote me back. He was vehemently racist and anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. The whole trouble with the whole world are the Jews and the blacks and yeah. so forth. Very violent guy. And he said, yeah, he would talk to me and... We, you know, this was in November, like this month, mm-hmm. uh, but years ago mm-hmm. in the 1990s. And, um, you know, he would talk to me and we continued corresponding via, you know, mail. And uh, at Christmas time, the next month in December, he sent me a Christmas card from prison that, oh he, had, that he had made himself because, you know, they don't have Christmas cards in prison. They, you know, they home make them or sell make them, mm-hmm. if you will. And uh, Does he know you're black at this point? No, he doesn't know I'm okay. black at this point. So in January, he sends me a letter. He's all mad. Uh-huh. How come you have not told me you're a black? He, he has sent some of his, you know, minions out Whoops, there. Got- <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they, they reported back to him. <clears throat> so yeah. I quickly wrote him back and said, hey, well, you know, 
What difference does it make whether I'm black, white, or any other color? You told me you're going to tell me the truth about what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. Does the truth differ if you tell it to a black person or a white person? You know, I don't just walk around saying I'm black. You know, I mean, you may walk around saying you're white, but, you know, that's not me. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, all I want is the truth. Mm -hmm. and I, I'm giving you the opportunity. So is there a problem? He wrote me back and said, no, there's no problem. You know, I just, you know, want everything to be up front. I said, I am being up front. You know, you didn't ask. I didn't tell. So, you know, right. uh, you're, you're going to meet me anyway. What difference does it make? So, uh, so you know, we met. And uh, he, um, he, boy, he had you know, everything down, laid it all out for me, what was wrong with the world, et cetera. <laughs> and uh, ironically, he wanted to meet at the same place where he fired the shotgun. Mm -hmm. you know, with these two black guys. And um, so I got there early. And it's, it's, a, it's a bar that you don't want to go to. Okay. Uh, they, they have their, their clan meetings in the back room of the bar. Mm. Right? So I walk in. Everybody like looks at me. You know, now, I don't know what he looks like. Right. Obviously, I'm a standout, right? <laughs> so I go and sit at the bar. I face the door. I don't know if he's already. I got there a little bit early. But I don't know if he's already in there. You know, is he looking at me, checking me out? You know, so I'm just mm -hmm. going to be cool, sit here and let somebody approach me. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching everybody come through the door. Nah, that's not him. Some little old lady. Nah, that's too young. <laughs> you know, and then finally this guy walks in, sees me, looks like this. So yeah. that's him. I, hey, I, you know, I get up, meet him halfway. Yeah. Everybody's like looking. <laughs> They're like, wait, what's, uh, going? Yeah, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, and, you know, whether you're in the clan or not, you know, that's the head of the clan. Yeah, of course. Right? So um, we go and get a table. Now, now what he had said in, in his last letter to me, um, he said, uh, you know, send me your phone number and give me a month. I'm getting out in February. Give me a month mm -hmm. to, to get my, my clan back together and get my roots planted. Because this time when he went to jail, uh, prison, his wife ran off with somebody. Mm -hmm. He lost his house. He lost everything. So he wanted to reestablish himself. And he would give me a call a month after he got out, after his roots were replanted. Okay. I said, fine. So he, 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 you know, held his word and called me, and that's where he wanted to meet. So um, we went and sat down at a table, and people kept coming up to him and slapping him on the back. Hey, man, good to see you. Glad you're out. All that kind of stuff. And kind of like looking at me like, you know. <laughs> what's going on? What's going on here, right? <laughs> so anyway, he said, listen, let's go somewhere else because this is going to be happening all day long. I just got out, and they haven't seen me and so forth. Mm -hmm. He wanted to go somewhere where we would just be he and I. I got it. That wasn't part of the plan. But I figured, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go along with it. And, um, you know, I might be a little bit at a risk. Yeah, but, I was like, you're a little but, nervous <clears throat> to go by yourself with him. Yeah, and so mm -hmm. we go outside, and uh, I go around to the passenger side of my car, open the door, you know, I want to take him or whatever. He goes, no, 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 let's take my car. You know, you, 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 your car be safe here. You know, they'll watch it for you. Yeah. They'll watch it for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I lock my car. I get in his car, and we go. And we go to a Chinese restaurant. And we sat there, oh, my God, for maybe five or six hours. Wow. Just talking and talking, you know. And we continued doing this. I'd go to his house. I'd bring him over to my house. All kinds of stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. you know getting to know this guy. Now, <clears throat> as a clan leader, mm -hmm. you have to have, you know, it's a title. Mm -hmm. It's not a paid position so much. Right. You, you get a, a small stipend from the dues that the members pay, mm -hmm. but it's not enough to pay your car note or your, you know, your mortgage or your rent. Are they like legally incorporated in some fashion? In some cases, yeah, they have a charter and all that uh, kind of okay, thing. Okay, interesting, yeah. okay. Okay, mm -hmm. and some of them do, some of them don't. But, um, you know, it's not a paid position, mm -hmm. and, uh, you, know, you, don't, you know, you don't get to W-9 and all that kind of thing. Yeah, right? yeah. So um, you have to have a regular job. It's like Boy Scout leader. I see, all right? yeah. So, you know, 
you're a Boy Scout leader, but your real job is sitting doing IT or something. Mm-hmm. All right, so this guy's real job, mm-hmm. while he was uh, leading the uh, Maryland Ku Klux Maryland Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, all right, and while he was trying to bomb uh, synagogues and shoot people and stuff, he was a Baltimore City police officer. Oh my God! This is his uniform. So, uh, okay. sorry, this is Bob White? In this the is bo- Bob White, Robert yeah, White. Yeah, Robert okay. White, okay. Yep, Bob White. and um, He was a very interesting character. Yes, indeed. And he, he was not. Uh-huh. He was not an undercover cop in the Klan gathering intelligence. Mm-hmm. He was a bona fide Klansman on the Baltimore City Police Force. Yes. And there are others. He Now, in your book, he was very interesting, Um the more and more you spoke to him, like even he agreed with you on some things like such as the Rodney King beating. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I think they were excessive, but I'm glad they got off, which obviously is a complete contradiction. Right. So it was interesting to kind of see his, um, his mind shift through your conversations or maybe like deconstruct through your conversations. Yes. Mm-hmm. But um, the other thing that was interesting was the case that was brought against him he got profiled for being in the clan. He didn't actually try to shoot, right? That's what, correct. What exactly, I'm sorry, if I'm butchering what no, happened no, no. exactly. What happened was, okay, <clears throat> uh, his um, his grand claylith, uh-huh. in other words, deputy dragon, yeah. or lieutenant governor, you and I would call, uh, they, they were having their meeting in the back of that room of that bar where we were. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's package goods, you know, you come in and buy a six pack and whatever. Mm-hmm. So a couple of black guys have come in there. You know, it's a regular bar, you know, open to anybody. Right. And uh, they purchased um, some beer, a case of beer or something like that, mm-hmm. a six pack. And the, the clan was just finishing their meeting in the back and they had been drinking and whatever else. So the Grand Claylith, uh, as he came out of the back room, he saw these two black guys and decided he didn't want them in there. Now, this is not his bar, mm-hmm. right? And the, the bar owner is trying to do business. Mm-hmm. And so the Klansman took it upon himself to kick them out. And the bartender said, hey, no, 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 no. You, know, you, know, you, you don't run this bar. I do or whatever. And kicked the Klansman out. Mm-hmm. The Klansman went outside and was waiting for the two black guys. One of them had a prosthesis on his leg. You know, he he was, um, had an ampu- amputation uh, yeah. below the knee. And so uh, anyway, when the guy came out, the Klansman jumped him and beat the daylights out of him, beat him so so bad the uh, prosthesis came off and began beating him with the prosthesis. Oh, my God. Right. And so Bob White, uh, the other guy, jumped on the Klansman and began beating the daylights out of the Klansman. Mm-hmm. All right. And so Bob went to his truck and got um, what he says was a uh, broken-down daisy pellet rifle mm-hmm. or BB uh, rifle. And <clears throat> first he fired it into the air, and he fired it into the ground. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, scared the guys, and they took off running. Mm. And they ran into the woods, and that was the end of it. Um, when the police came, uh, they charged him uh, with insult, assault with intent to murder with a shotgun. Now, the, uh, the gun was never found. Uh, Bob hit it, and he hit it under a bridge. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, I don't know how long it remained there. But Bob thought it was still going to be there when he got out of prison because he hit it pretty good. Mm-hmm. And he and I went down there to find it. It was gone. It was gone. It was mm-hmm. gone. But um, when the police came, uh, you know, of course, Bob fled. You know, you're, you're discharging a weapon in mm-hmm. public yeah, and all that kind of thing. So 
they towed his truck. They searched the truck. They found all this clan literature, applications to join, and this uh, and the other. Yeah. So, of course, they stacked on the charges, mm-hmm. and, uh, and they kind of in, inflated the charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did not fire the gun at anyone. Now, I was not there. I interviewed several people who were there mm-hmm. who saw the whole thing go down, including the janitor of the, uh, of the establishment where it, where it took place. Mm-hmm. And he was still working there years later. And uh, he recounted the whole story for me, and I have no reason to doubt him. And I've seen other incidents where, just like, you know, if you're black, you know, you may get charged with a, a bunch of, you know, you may have done one thing, but nine charges get thrown on you. Yeah. Right, hoping that, you know, as many will stick on you. And I believe that's what happened with Bob White because he was affiliated with the Klan. Not, not that I'm defending the Klan, you understand. <clears throat> of course, of course not. No, but you, you basically draw that parallel in the book that, you know, the very thing that, you know, the black Americans were complaining about were did happen to him for the same reason, just obviously for a different affiliation. Correct. And then Bob even worked with, I think it was like a black supremacist in That's jail. Right. That's right. They, for some reason, white supremacists, well, I obviously we know the reason why white supremacists and black supremacists like each other because they believe in the same thing, the separation of the races. Exactly. And so he would work with them. So in a weird way, and then now he's friends with you. Is he still alive, by the way? No, Bob has passed on. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And you all remained friends until his death? Yes, and he came to my wedding. Oh, my God, even though he doesn't believe. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, he sent me a funny thing. Um, he, I invited, you know, several people, and those who were able to come came. Yeah. And Bob sent me um, a letter thanking me for inviting him. And, and you know, and, you know, you have to know Bob. But uh, he said, you know, I was really shocked. You know, you, know, you, you, you all do it the same way we do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It, it's kind of amazing that even though they're white, that they literally were living in their own little echo chamber. Right. And, you know, just for someone who grew up in South Florida has been, um, I've had so many experiences, been, you know, um, you know, have so many different friends of color. To hear that is just bizarre to me. But of course, there are so many areas of the United States, they are deeply isolated and it's Listen, a breeding ground. You know, let me tell you something, not, not to digress, but just yeah. for an example, it has nothing to do with the Klan or anything else. Right. Um, nothing to do with racism that, well, maybe in an abstract way. Right. But as I pointed out you know, earlier, uh, I'm the child of parents in the U.S. Foreign Service. Mm-hmm. So my, my dad was, you know, American Embassy. I lived overseas. I started traveling around the world at the age of three. Mm-hmm. And um, I spent 10 years living in Africa, living in Europe, traveling to other continents, visiting countries, which I do today as well to perform music. I'm a professional mm-hmm. musician right. and lecturer. But as a kid, you know, you go to a country, you're there for two years, you come back home here to the States, you're here for maybe a few months, perhaps a year if you ask for it, mm-hmm. and then you're transferred again to another country abroad. Um, when I would come home in elementary school and, uh, you know, Teacher goes around the room, so where are you from? Where do you live? And each kid talks mm-hmm. about himself for a minute. Um, I just got back from Ethiopia. He's got back from Senegal or wherever. Right. But they know it's Africa. You know what my classmates would ask me in many occasions? They asked me if I saw Tarzan. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's our perception because, you know, that's what, you know, what, what we perceive. You know, they, right. they watch these things. And, you know, when you hear, you know, the natives are, get, are getting restless, what do you mm-hmm. think? You, know, you think of black people, the natives, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or, or Native American Indians. You yeah. don't think of, of white natives, right. you know. So 
one's perception is skewed right. by what they believe. You know, and you know, did you have lions and tigers running through your yard? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, there are no tigers in Africa. Yeah, tigers are in India. They're not in Africa unless they're transported there to right. be in the zoo. And no, I did not have them running through my yard. I did, however, go on <laughs> safaris and see them. You know, and things like that. And Africa has tall buildings, and right. you know, there's not all mud huts and straw. Yeah, of course, of course. So you know, so Bob is just a reflection mm-hmm. of that. And, uh, and as you pointed out, surrounded by an echo chamber that just feeds that. Right, right. It's just a breeding ground. Right. And one thing I noticed reading your book is that majority of the people that you interviewed for this book, they have a family lineage to the clan. Very few like came from the outside, except Tony Lariki, Tony the, Itali- Lariki yeah. the Italian guy, which was an interesting character. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but besides that, I mean, most of them, they were saying, oh, my daddy was in the clan. My granddaddy was in the clan. And so, I mean, it's as if it was inescapable for them in a lot of A lot of people uh, do get in there that way through uh, family tradition passed down. My granddaddy was in the clan. My yeah. dad's in the clan. I'm in the clan. My kids are going to be in the clan. Right. Yeah. I, and But there are others. There are plenty of others who... Um, Come from perfectly normal families mm-hmm. that want nothing to do with the clan. Somehow, yeah. the the boy or girl, the son or daughter, you know, took a left turn somewhere, went down yeah. the wrong rabbit hole, and things like that. Or um, you find that uh, you move to a new town mm. for whatever reason, and that town could be a a, a clan stronghold. Mm. You know, they've infiltrated you know the city government or whatever town government council. So you know, if you want to do business in that town and and, you know, become a part of it, you have to assimilate. Yeah. You know, you join the local chamber of commerce, you join the local country club, you join the local KKK. Yeah. And, and another thing is also that um, you take a depressed town, say a coal mining town in West Virginia or Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, and this is happening more and more, where most coal miners uh, traditionally have been white. Mm-hmm. And um, these people leave school, high school, if they, you know, even if they don't finish, they leave school and go right to the mines. Yeah. You know, and, and generations of their family have dug, dug the coal, working mm-hmm. in the mines. Mm-hmm. And uh, so these people just following family tradition, right? Well, then the, the, uh, the mining companies, uh, they get greedy. They see all these immigrants coming into the country, legally or illegal. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. We can hire them for that much money right. and stop paying our guys this much money. Mm-hmm. You know, greed, right? And so um, they began laying off these white workers. Mm. Now, these white workers did not have one racist bone in their body. They're, they're happy. They're digging their coal. They're getting paid. They're feeding their family. They're paying mm. their bills. You know, when, when you're happy, you like everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. want everybody else to be happy, right? So no problem. And, um, and so they, 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 they lay them off. Mm-hmm. Well, guess, and they hire these other people, and they just pay them that much money, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody from South America or Mexico or wherever. Um, so now the Klan will come in and hold a rally in that town and say, look, what's going on here? You know, mm-hmm. your job's not go- gone, but some, you know, yeah. racial or ethnic epithet now has your job. Right. It exacerbates and, the situation. Exactly. And you, you can't put food on your family's table. Yeah. You can't put clothes on your kid's back. Mm-hmm. The, the blacks have the NAACP. The Jews have the ADL. Nobody stands up for the white man but the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. Come join us. We'll get your job back. Your job's not gone, but you're gone. Is that fair to you, the white man who's been there for generations and generations? Mm-hmm. And these are people who were never racist. Yeah. But now the bank is knocking on their door 
for that you know mortgage, or, or we're going to foreclose on your on your uh, on your home. It's like right? the perfect gang initiation. Exactly. Yeah. So they're like, wow, you know, it is true. My job is still there, but I'm out. What do I have to lose? Okay, give me an application. Sign me up. Right. And they sign up and, and they join that way. Mm-hmm. So there are different you know avenues as to as to why people join. Do you think the clan is stronger today than when you started, or less? What What do you feel? I feel it's a bit fractured. It, it's, it, it, the clan itself is fractured, yes. Uh, white, su- white supremacy has increased. Mm-hmm. It, the clan has spawned a lot of new children, bastards, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah. Uh, the alt-right, uh, the patriot front, the, um, the one percenters, the three percenters, the, all, you know, boys, yeah. all national alliance, you know, all these different groups. When I first started this work, I've been doing this now, next year will be 42 years that I've been actively doing this. Mm-hmm. When I first began, there was the Ku Klux Klan, neo-Nazi groups, white power skinheads. Today, you got all these other groups, yeah. you know, including the Klan, neo-Nazis, and white mm-hmm. power skinheads. Uh, so, the Klan was the original mm-hmm. um, white supremacist gang, and um, and now you know it, it had the most members at, at its height. Mm-hmm. It had four million members in this country, which included governors, mm-hmm. mayors. Even presidents of the United States yeah. and Supreme Court justices, President Warren G. Harding was sworn into the Ku Klux Klan in the green room of the White House. President Harry Truman, mm-hmm. before he became president, joined for a very short time. He didn't like it. He got out. Uh, Supreme Court Justice from Alabama, Hugo Black, uh, was in the Klan at the time when he got the appointment to be a Supreme Court Justice. Mm-hmm. He had to leave the group in order to sit on the Supreme Court. So, you know, Senator Robert Byrd, who was our oldest living senator, mm-hmm. just died a few years ago, was a Klansman in the 1940s. Right. Uh, he long, you know, saw the light and did a lot of things for civil rights. Right. So, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't just reflect those, you know, that we would see on Jerry Springer, you know, throwing right. chairs and acting all crazy. Yes, there are those people, and I know right. a lot of those do. Yeah. But those are ones that are brought onto the show to increase ratings. Mm-hmm. They come from all different walks of life. The original term... Uh, as, as to how they would describe themselves, I'm a white supremacist, a supremacist. I believe in white supremacy. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that was their badge of honor. They thought that they were superior and anybody who was not like them was inferior. All right. Uh, as the membership grew, so did the violence. Mm-hmm. And it spread out across the country. It got so bad. Now, in the original Klan, the original the Klan was formed in 1865 on Christmas Eve by six Confederate uh, veterans, mm-hmm. all right? And um, it just expanded from there. As it grew, so did the violence. It got so violent uh, that uh, in 1871, Congress got involved, the U.S. Congress got involved, and they passed what was called the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871. Mm-hmm. And part of that act is what we use today uh, when, when we sued the police for police brutality. Oh, interesting. Okay, but uh, anyway, in the original Klan, there were Jews, there were Protestants, mm-hmm. and there were Catholics. Mm-hmm. The Klan was simply a reflection of the Confederacy. There were, cons- there were Jews in the Confederacy, there yeah. were Protestants and, and Catholics, slave owners, etc. right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so then in 1871, Congress drove the Klan underground. And they became, you know, they didn't quite go away, but they became, became more dormant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they stayed kind of dormant until 1915, at which time... A, a movie maker had some innovations in film that we had not seen before. His name was D.W. Griffith, mm-hmm. and he made a movie um, called Birth of a Nation. Yeah. 
and it, it glorified the Ku Klux Klan mm-hmm. and rekindled that interest. So a new wave of the Klan was born. And this time, the new wave, they changed some of the bylaws that uh, you had to hold allegiance to the United States mm-hmm. and you could not reveal any Klan business to an alien. An alien is, is who they call anybody who's a non-member. Okay. Okay. And you had to believe that Jesus Christ was the son of God. So Jews were barred for the fact that they believed Jesus Christ was just a regular man, not necessarily the son of God. So they were barred. Mm -hmm. Um, Catholics were barred for two reasons. One, that um, Catholics hold their allegiance to the Pope. Mm -hmm. Where's the Pope? He's in the Vatican. Where's the Vatican? Vatican's in Rome, which is in Italy, which is not the United States. So that's one reason you're not holding allegiance to the United States. Mm -hmm. Two, if a Catholic goes out night riding, you know, lynching somebody or burning down somebody's house or mm-hmm. doing something like that, um, where does he go or she go? He goes to confession. Mm. So you're revealing oh, so clan business to an alien. The priest is an alien. Okay. So barred the Catholics. <clears throat> so, you know, the membership grew. Yeah. So did the violence. And then people began, you know, dropping out because of all this violence. There were people who, I, you know, I don't like Jews, and I don't like, and I don't like uh, black people, but I don't want to kill them and get involved in murder and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So some people began dropping out. Membership began dwindling. So the term white supremacy, white supremacists, mm-hmm. became unpalatable. You know, you don't want to be associated with that, even though you don't like those other people. Mm-hmm. So they had to rebrand. So they chose another term. Um, we are white separatists. We believe in white separatism. We don't hate black people or Jewish people. They can have their own schools, their own neighborhoods, mm-hmm. their own playgrounds and whatever else. We should be able to have ours and our restaurants, and that way they can go to theirs, we can go to ours. We don't have to mix. Yeah, I like that idea. Sign me up. I'm a white separatist. Mm-hmm. All right? So that was palatable. People began joining. Membership grew again. Is this when Native Americans could be part of it, too? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Okay, interesting. Okay. And not, not all Native Americans joined. No, no, you know? of course not. And, you know, there were a few. And um, so it grew, but then again, so did the violence. Yeah. Okay, so then the term white supremacists and white separatists became unpalatable. So now they had to rebrand. Mm-hmm. And so now we're on this, on this next rebranding. I so see. now they're calling themselves, what? White nationalists. Mm-hmm. So... And so how, how they frame it. Do you like your country? Well, yeah, I like my country. You like your nation? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But then you are a nationalist, okay? You're also white, so therefore you are a white nationalist, okay? So if you like your country, why can't you just be called a nationalist? I'm an American nationalist. Right. Why do you have to be a white nationalist and I have to be a black nationalist? That puts a little different spin on it. Definitely. So, you know, um, at the end of the day, the old cliche still stands true. A rose by any other name is what? Still a rose. Yeah. So whether you're a white supremacist, a white separatist, a white nationalist, it's all the same thing. What do you feel about, I don't remember his name exactly, I think he was Spanish that became in charge of the Proud Boys? Uh, Enrique Tarrio. Yes. Yeah. And I don't think he's part of it anymore. I think he got arrested or something. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think that happened? Why do you think he um, decided to be ahead of that? organization. He's an interesting guy. Uh, he saw power. Yeah. Okay. And <clears throat> the Proud Boys kind of did a split. Mm-hmm. All right. So let me give you an example of something. And I'll come back to Enrique. When you think of skinheads, what do you think of? 
And white people, bald heads, Nazis. White people, bald heads, and Nazis. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you're partially right. Mm-hmm. Okay, The skinhead movement started in the UK, United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. All right? They were a reflection of our, you know, in the United States, hippies. Mm-hmm. They were blue-collar, working-class people who were rebelling against the establishment. They were not racist at all. And, uh, in fact, there are black skinheads. You know, they're just working class, just like black hippies, Mm -hmm. you know? There were working class people who were not happy with the uh, establishment, okay? A a part of them splintered off that became racist, Mm -hmm. and it tainted the entire skinhead movement, which caused an organization to be born out of the skinheads called SHARP, Mm S-H-A-R-P, which is an acronym for skinheads, Against racial prejudice, S H A R P. Mm, okay? okay, and they fight against uh, uh, you know that 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 moniker and that description. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of black skinheads, and they don't wear you know the red shoelaces that distinguish them from being white supremacist ones and all that okay, kind of or the it. things, the bandanas in the pocket and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they get into fights with those guys. I see. Okay, so um, the Proud Boys. They had their issues, and they're you know they were um, not so much uh, racist, but very male chauvinist and very authoritarian, and this, that, and the other, uh, very um, uh, against Antifa and mm-hmm. this kind of thing. Uh, but Gavin McInnes, who was also a co-founder of, of the Proud Boys, mm-hmm. right, uh, you know, kind of broke away and had this racist mm-hmm. uh, sect. So you, you got you got two groups of Proud Boys. You know, those that are racist and those that are not racist. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's very confusing. And, uh, you know, that's what happens, you know, when there is no centralization or, uh, or trademark right. on, on some of these groups. Uh, they, you know, they run rogue, just like the Klan doesn't, you know, Klan claims to be Christian, but they're not the Christians that you and I know. <laughs> yeah. That kind of thing. Right. Um, Enrique also began uh, informing for the FBI. Ah, okay. And uh, so, you know, that, that kept him out of some trouble. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, uh, well, you know, I've gotten myself into this and the only way I can, you know, make right or, mm-hmm. or you know, not be in prison for as long as, you know, they're going to send me there is to turn state's evidence or this out of the other. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, that, that often happens with a lot of these groups. Because when you join these groups and you get involved in subversive activity, mm-hmm. there's usually only two, two places, two destinations you can go. Mm-hmm. Jail or your grave. Yeah. You know, you're going to have a shootout with somebody. Yeah, it's no different than a gang. Exactly. Really? Exactly. So, you know, you reach a point where is my quest for power worth my life, mm-hmm. whether it's, it ends in the grave or whether I spend it the rest, the rest of it in prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you tell us about the first time you went to a Klan rally? <laughs> <laughs> what, like, what were you thinking? Were you surprised at anything? Walk us through that experience. I've had both negative and positive experiences at these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you still actively go to them? I still actively go to them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I go on my own, mm-hmm. so, um, you know, meaning uh, I'm not invited. Yeah. Other times I'm invited by the Klan. I've, yeah. I've even spoken. I have even spoken at Klan rallies and Klan meetings because they've invited me to come and speak, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but the first time I went was uh, down in Virginia, and the rally was uh, put on by Virgil Griffin, who was the imperial wizard of the Christian Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. 
a very violent and vehement, vehemently racist and anti-Semitic group. In fact, um, in 1979, in November, uh, 79 or 81, I forgot the exact date, but uh, look up the Greensboro Massacre. Okay. All right. Um, there was the Communist Workers Party, they called themselves, and they held a death to the Klan rally in, uh, in, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so the Klan showed up, and it was all caught on camera by PBS live. Wow. And the Klan pulled up in these two cars. Mm-hmm. They got out, and the drivers opened the trunks, started handing out shotguns and guns, mm-hmm. and started murdering the, uh, the Communist Workers' Party members Jesus. who were marching with their signs, mm-hmm. you know, death to the Klan, whatever. They murdered five of them right there on the street. And you can see the whole thing on, on, um, on, on YouTube, for that mm-hmm. matter. Uh, they, you know, they were uh, charged, mm-hmm. and they went to court, and they got off. Wow. And Virgil Griffin um, said, I don't see any difference between fighting communists here in this country or fighting them over in Vietnam. Right? Bit of a stretch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it worked for him. Mm-hmm. It got off, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, he held this rally, and I went to it down in um, Christiansburg, Virginia, and I walked right up to him, mm-hmm. you know, and he, you know, didn't want to talk to me. And his grand dragon of South Carolina, a guy named Horace King, um, he told me to go to hell and all kinds of stuff. Now, you know, back then I was just starting out. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I I had a few words with him. I, I, I'm not going to say what I told him, <laughs> <laughs> but it really upset him. Yeah. And uh, he did not like me at all. And then um, later on, uh in, in, in the next couple of years, a bunch of churches in South Carolina and North Carolina were burned down mysteriously mm. by the Klan in the middle of the night. And um, Horace King was behind that. And he okay. went to prison. Mm. And um, he, uh, he died in prison. Virgil Griffin is now dead as well. So, uh, you know, I, I spoke to Virgil, you know, a couple of times, but, you know, he was not interested really in talking to me. So he never came around? No, no, okay. not at all. You know, and, you know, there will be those who will, who will sit and talk mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, explain their point of view. And there will be those who want nothing to do with you. There will be those who want to fight. Mm-hmm. The very first Klansman I met, I didn't know he was in the Klan. I beat the daylights out of him uh, oh because he was, uh, he was beating up some lady on the sidewalk. And uh, I intervened. I didn't know what was going on. Um, three or four white guys were standing around, and I pulled into this all-night restaurant after a gig, mm-hmm. and I saw a man straddled across a woman on the on the sidewalk, banging her head into the into the pavement and smacking her in the face. Oh my god! And when I pulled in my spot and got out of the car and closed my door and going to walk over, he looks up and sees me, and he calls me a racial epithet and wants mm-hmm. to know if I want a piece of him. I said, "Yeah," and he mm-hmm. got up, and I let him have it, mm-hmm. and I hurt him pretty bad. And then the three or four white guys who were observing called the police. Mm. They didn't call the police while he was being the daylights out of her, right? Just when you intervened. Exactly. And so the police showed up, and something was very weird about it mm-hmm. that I, I couldn't put my finger on at the time. I wanted this guy arrested, and they would not arrest him. You know, they they you know, had me stand over here and had him over there and talk to him, and they told him to leave the, uh, the property. Mm-hmm. And if he were to return within 24 hours, they would arrest him for trespassing. It's an all-night restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I wanted his name and number and, and address and all that stuff. Because, you know, if you're not going to arrest him, I'm going to press charges. Right. So you have to give me his information. 
So they did. They had mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. And so I got, I got their names too. I was going to report these cops. Oh my God. And uh, anyway, so rather, so they, he left, the dude left. And um, <clears throat> instead of going into the restaurant, well, I went in there and I got some ice and a towel and put it on the lady's head mm-hmm. and told her, you know, I, I'd be happy to go to court and be her witness. Mm-hmm. She said she'd go to, you know, court with me. I didn't get hurt. He got hurt. He got hurt pretty bad. But uh, anyway, I said, you know, okay, so we exchanged phone numbers. Mm-hmm. And then um, I, instead of sitting that there to eat, which is what I intentionally came to do, mm-hmm. I went down to the police station and talked to the commissioner. I said, look, I want this person arrested for assault. Mm. And so he, he gives me the thing. I start filling it out. And I said, um, so how long will it take for him to be served? And he says, oh, about two or three days. I'll sign it, send it down to one of the deputies. He'll, mm-hmm. you know, serve him. And uh, about two minutes later, in walks the guy. Mm-hmm. that I beat up, and he's in handcuffs. He's handcuffed behind his back. He has two Maryland State Troopers mm-hmm. on either side of him holding his arms. When these two cops came initially to the property, they were uh, county cops. Mm-hmm. And county cops play. State Troopers don't play. Interesting. Okay. okay. So anyway... Um, I'm looking through the picture window. I said, that's him right there. That's him right there. Mm-hmm. You know, and the guy said, well, sign the paper. And I'll sign it. I'll serve him right now. Oh, my God. He's a commissioner, right? <laughs> so I signed it. He rolled it up, walked out there, and stuck it in between the guy's arms and said, you know, you've been served. Uh-huh. So long story short, what happened was the guy left, as he was told, or otherwise he'd be um, arrested for trespassing. Right. When the cops left, the county cops left, he came back looking for me to settle the score. Oh. I wasn't there. He went inside. I was down at the police station. He went inside the restaurant and picked a fight with some other black guy. Oh, my God. Right? And so cops got called again. This time the state troopers were in the area, and they responded to the call. Mm-hmm. And uh, they arrested him, so that's why he was there. So long story short, I go down to pick up the, the, the trial date comes. It's, it's a long, convoluted story, but anyway. Mm-hmm. I go down to pick up the lady to go to court with her. She tells me she was his fiance, and uh, he, he had some other girl pregnant or something like that. And so she dumped him. Well, he didn't want to let go. He wanted his cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. So bam, bam, bam. If I can't have you, nobody will. You know, that kind uh, of thing, right? Okay. All right. So she tells me he's a Klansman. Mm-hmm. Not that it mattered to me. All I saw was a man beating the crap out of a lady. Right. You know, I didn't care what affiliation he had. Mm-hmm. And um, he was also in the fire department. Uh-huh. And so that explained why the cops did not arrest him. County cops and, and county firefighters, uh, you know, they know each other. Got it. So in court, uh, his attorney um, said nothing about the abuse of this female. Mm -hmm. All he said was um, his client uh, had been celebrating a promotion from sergeant to lieutenant on the fire fire department. Mm -hmm. And they had a big party, and he'd been drinking a little bit, and he got a a little loose with his language and and insulted Mr. Davis. He's very, very sorry, et cetera, et cetera, Mm -hmm. Um, and so forth and so on. And he said nothing about, about the, the beating of the woman. So when I got up there, I talked about that. And his new fiance was sitting there. Mm-hmm. She had not heard any of that. Oh. So that was the end of that relationship. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. And when I walked in with his old fiance, he about had a fit. I bet. He's, he's flushed, you know. Uh-huh. And so he, well, he lost the case, and he, you know, he had to pay a penalty for, for attacking me. And he had, to, he had to do some community service and all this other kind of thing. Yeah. You know, and it's not just obviously you got into it with quite a few different clans people for various reasons, but watching your documentary, I know you and I talked about last night when we were having dinner, 
um, accidental courtesy. Yeah. Great documentary. Um, you were talking to two people from black lives matter. Three actually. Yeah. yeah, Mm -hmm. Three, three in total two, and you know, separated. And they started laying into you. I mean, just, and then tell us exactly how that transpired. Was it really only eight minutes? Was it longer? Sure. Um, well, what the documentary shows is eight minutes of uh, some members of the Baltimore faction of Black Lives Matter. And the reason mm-hmm. why I say faction as opposed to chapter is because Black Lives Matter is not an organization. An organization has, has is trademarked, mm-hmm. uh, has a central headquarters, one president. Policy is, is created at the headquarters and mm-hmm. disseminated to all the chapters around the country like the Boy Scouts of America, the Red Cross, the NAACP, the right. ADL, whatever, right? Um, Black Lives Matter is an organization. Mm-hmm. The founders intentionally did not want to centralize, trademark the name. Um, it, it wanted to be organic. And so, therefore, you have many different factions of Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, some agree with what I do, and they will email me or contact me and say, hey, do you give workshops? Can you teach us to do what you do? Mm-hmm. Others do not agree Whatsoever. Yeah. They do not believe it's, it's my job as a black person to teach white people how to treat us. And uh, they are a lot more aggressive. And mm-hmm. I, I'm an Uncle Tom. I'm an Oreo. I'm a race trader. Mm-hmm. I'm everything but my name, you know? And so. Even though the proof is at the pudding, you've had 200 people right. leave the Klan. But, you know, they don't bother to, to, to look at it that way. You know, yeah. They just see it as, um, <coughs> excuse me, as kowtowing, you know, to the Klan. Mm-hmm. But yet. Uh, the, the irony, which seems to be lost on them, is, mm-hmm. okay, it's not our job as black people to teach somebody how to treat us. Mm-hmm. Um, on the surface, yes, I would agree with that. People should know how to treat each other. You should learn that at home, you know. But when you've been mistreated for 400 years and you're still being mistreated 400 years later, it may be time to change the, the teaching. Sure, right? absolutely. Okay, so um, I, I think outside the box. Now— Ironically, these these same people that uh, just you know that read me the riot act and, and wanted to fight and didn't want to shake my hand in the yeah. movie, uh, they go and march in front of the Baltimore City uh, Police Department. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of white supremacists in that in that department. Sure, and uh, and they teach the police by yelling and screaming through megaphones and things. You know, don't shoot, hands up, don't shoot. You know, you know, we, you know, we, we're men, so forth and so on. Um, and they're right. You know, the, the Baltimore City Police have overreacted in many cases mm-hmm. and, and taken the lives of people mm-hmm. and, and falsely arrested people and beat them for no reason right. because of racism. Right? But they, these same guys, and you see them being arrested in the documentary for protesting, for teaching the Baltimore City Police. And I asked them, are there white supremacists in the Baltimore City Police? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there are a bunch of white supremacists. I know that. I got one of the uniforms, Right. Right. So why are they down there teaching white supremacists in uniforms with badges and guns how to treat us, but yet I'm wrong for teaching white supremacists in robes and hoods how to treat us? Right. So the, you know, the irony is lost on that. It's, it's um, hypocrisy. It, but anyway, it, I, I wanted to show that, you know, black people are not monolithic. Mm-hmm. Neither are white people. We all are right. individuals. There are black people who support what I do, and there are those who don't. Mm-hmm. Nobody has a... Um, a monopoly on racism. Mm-hmm. It comes in all different facets. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly enough, uh, those same people who wanted to fight me and threatened me never to come back to Baltimore again 
I live 35 minutes from Baltimore. I'm there every other day, right? <laughs> yeah. So I don't listen to that. Uh, they reached out to me a year later and Good. said, hey, you know, we've been seeing you on TV, being interviewed. We, we sort of understand what you're doing. We think we know we can work together. You know, we don't understand or agree with everything, but we think mm -hmm. we can work together. Can we get together and talk? So I met them for dinner, and we had a good conversation. We began working together, and one of them uh, fell off the wagon, so to speak, and mm. reverted back to how he was yeah. in, the, in the movie. But I wanted to keep that in the film to show that black people, that we all have different opinions. You know, just, just because I'm black doesn't mean that, you know, they're, you know, they're going to support me. Now, ironically, that film, uh, Accidental Courtesy, it won half a dozen awards in all kinds of different film festivals, South by Southwest, this one, the one and the other one. Mm -hmm. However, there was one uh, film festival that would not show it because they thought that scene that you're talking about, they thought it was staged. Really? I guarantee you it was not staged. It was not. real. It was real. And you only saw eight minutes of it. It, uh, it, it went on for about an hour and 10 minutes and it almost erupted into physical violence. I know for a fact it's not staged. If, if I search your name on TikTok, which definitely is millennials and Gen Zs, mm -hmm. anyone who talks about you is like, Oh, I like what he did, but it's not our job to teach white people, blah, 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 and, right. and go into basically the tirade that the guy, you know, yelled at you for an hour, even though we only got an eight minute clip. So I know that's how they think, unfortunately, right. uh, obviously not everyone, but right. th those specific groups. I do feel that it's a very extreme way of thinking. Um, and sometimes things I hear from them is really no different than maybe uh, my racist white grandmother. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's amazing how they both can sound the same. Well, let me tell you a story. So back in the 80s, you know, when I first started doing this kind of work, I mean, I was always interested in the racist mentality. Yeah. Um, but I started actively getting involved. with. I, I would go and seek out... Anybody, you know, mm -hmm. anti-racist groups, racist groups, whatever, just just yeah. to learn, absorb, yeah. you know, because, you know, you want to hear both sides of the story, right? And um, some of these anti-racist groups were as bad and as violent as some of the racist groups. Absolutely. Okay, now, I didn't know that, you know? And so I'm going to some of these meetings of some of the, I won't name these groups, but um, anyway, there was this girl who uh, was always at these meetings, mm -hmm. handing out flyers, and then, you know, letting you know when the next demonstration, anti-racist demonstration was going to be. Mm -hmm. You know, the Klan was going to march, you know, down Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C., from the Capitol to the White House and back up or whatever. Or they were going to do this and do that. And they began doxing people, mm -hmm. you know. And the word doxing wasn't even around back then, but, that, but that's what they yeah. were doing. Because, uh, you know, we had some who worked at, in the police department where I live. Mm -hmm. And they gave their address and uh, these, this yeah. group gave out their address and stuff. Anyway, um, so I'd always see her, and she'd always give me a flyer. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, uh, we exchanged phone numbers. I'd call her, hey, when's the next meeting? When's the next demonstration? Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't join the group. I would go to observe and listen and, and see what they would do when the Klan showed up. And, you know, they'd get violent and stuff. Yeah. Well, back then, uh, you could um, just walk into uh, the U.S. Capitol. I lived 35 minutes from the U.S. Capitol. Mm -hmm. You just walk in there. You know, there was no metal detector. You didn't get searched. You just walk up to your congressman or senator's door and yeah. knock on the door. Well, that's you know? changed. <laughs> oh, big time. Just like TSA at the airport, right? Right, right. Okay, so, yeah. um, so then one day somebody planted a bomb in the doorway, in, in the threshold of uh, Senator mm. Robert Byrd of West Virginia's office. Right. And <clears throat> the bomb went off and blew out the door. 
Fortunately, he was not in there. Nobody was injured. Mm -hmm. But just the attack on this man's office, that's what prompted all that security. Now you have metal detectors. you got search. Right. you got concrete pylons around the Capitol so you can't run your car into it and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that was the beginning of all that. All right? And so they did, uh, you know, several months' investigation trying to find, you know, who had done this. And they arrested like three or four people. That girl was one of them. Oh, my God. I torp her number. I'm like, yeah, I don't know this person. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with her. <laughs> one hilarious thing in your book, one of the few clans women uh -huh. that you interviewed. I just talked to her the other day. So you you hide her name in the book, but the name you give her, this is now 20 years ago, mm -hmm. was Karen, yeah. which was fucking hilarious. Yeah. Considering <laughs> the name Karen and where it goes now. And Karen has a whole different meaning today than it, it did it's back totally then. Totally different meaning. So that just made me laugh. She was kind of interesting. Um, she believed in astrology. Yeah. She gave you and a she, reading. And it was very accurate too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I personally, I love astrology. I have fun with it. I mean, whether or not it's real, who cares? I just enjoy it. Um, it doesn't discriminate. And another thing that I thought was interesting, she actually felt the white male leadership was pretty poor. Mm -hmm. And she, she didn't believe in really the separation of the races because eventually even white people would go after each other, like redheads versus blondes versus yeah. brunettes, which, which I thought true. was very telling. Yes. And, and, you know, she'd been married several times mm -hmm. and she had married, uh, one of her uh, husbands was, um, Hispanic. Oh, right. That you know, and so, you know, you believe in purity of the races. Well, yeah. What, what percentage of your husband were you sleeping with? You know, the, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the, the white percentage or the Hispanic She's percentage? She's only eight inches. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she was, she was such a character. And another thing she said that I thought was interesting, and I've noticed this in predominantly Southern places, she really admired Native Americans yes. and the way they lived. And I noticed that like in Texas, there's areas where Native Americans are considered you know, like an upper echelon, mm -hmm. but like you don't mix with them, but they're considered upper echelon, but like Mexicans now. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's so weird how they kind of pick and choose. And then you even um, debated her. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're saying all these poor things about Africans who live very similar to the Native Americans. What's the difference in their living situation? Mm -hmm. But she wasn't willing to reconcile that. Right, right. Has she gotten... Better? Oh, yeah. I've, I've taken her out on dates. Oh, my God. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. Yeah. So is she officially out of the clan? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Actually, I was like oddly rooting for her because I felt her, um, she was already a little deconstructed and it was only a bit more to push her over the edge to like really get her out of, you know, the heinous mindset. Right. And, you know, she, um, mm -hmm. she was a singer. Okay. And, oh, that's right. You played and, the piano yeah, with her. And she... Uh, I mean, this is the craziest story. I mean, it shows you, you know, you are a logical person. Mm -hmm. You look for rationale in things, as I'm sure probably most of your listeners are logical and, and rational, and they look for the rationale. I hope so. Do not look for rationale with somebody yeah. who is irrational. Right. Um, right. To be a racist is to be irrational. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be irrational, you're going to do irrational stuff. Yeah, like absolutely. sit down and go out on a date with a black man while you're in the Klan. <laughs> You know, I mean, this is no rhyme or reason, mm -hmm. you know, uh, yeah. but I've had these things happen. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so when uh, I, you know, I, I'd written, I'd, I'd interviewed all these men mm -hmm. and I'd met some other women in the, in the clan and there are plenty of them. Um, so I called this one imperial wizard. I said, listen, man, 
I need you to fix me up with one of your women. I, I want to get a woman's perspective. Mm-hmm. And so he says, all right, Carol, you know, let me, you know, let, let me, let me find one. You know, I, th- I think it would be good. So he called me back later and says, okay, you know, call so-and-so, mm-hmm. uh, who I named Karen. He said that she is a silent member. A silent member means that um, people don't know that she's in the Klan. Uh, even some people in the Klan don't even know. Mm-hmm. And people definitely outside because, you know, that she has a job that she could lose her job. Right. And, of course, I don't want to cost anybody their job. So he says, um, she says uh, that, uh, that you have to come to her. She, first he said, you know, she hates black people more than I do. He, tell, he tells me this, oh right? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, okay. You're like, perfect. No. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I need to talk to her. <laughs> and um, he says, but she won't meet you out in public. Mm. You have to come to her house. Yeah. And, you know, she doesn't want to be seen with you in public. I'm thinking, well, that's kind of crazy. Um, you know, what would her neighbors think if they happened to be driving by and I'm coming out on her porch or coming onto her porch? Good point. You know, um, he goes, uh, you, you won't have that problem. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you'll see when you get there. He says, you know, here's her number. She says, call her. I said, all right, whatever. So, I, you know, I, I trust this guy. Mm-hmm. So I call, and she says, you know, yeah, you know, she'll talk to me and all that. Um, but she says she wants to, to know all my uh, birth data first. She wants to do my chart before she'll talk to me. Uh-huh. So she's going to check me out, you know, psych- psychically or yeah. whatever, astrologically. What, what year is this? This is around 95, 96. Okay. And um, so, you know, I tell her where I was born, what time, and mm-hmm. my birth date and all this stuff. And she told me that I was a good person. And I, and I have all the right things, and she'd be happy to meet with me. Uh-huh. And she felt safe. So she gives me directions to her house. Mm-hmm. And when I arrive, I realize why she wants me to come there. i got to drive through the woods. Oh, jeez. <laughs> down this dirt path way into the woods mm-hmm. to this log cabin. Okay, so she's... So she's very secluded, mm, okay. you know, and, and nobody's going to see me. You know, I might not even see myself back there, right? <laughs> so... Anyway, I, I said, okay, I, I, I see why, you know. Uh, so, you know, we had a good time. And when I, well, when I first got there, mm-hmm. I sort of recognized her, not from the Klan rallies, you know, that I'd seen or that I'd been to of this particular group. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I'd seen her picture as a singer, you know, regional. Mm-hmm. And I knew she had some, some songs out, records out, a country singer. Oh, okay. And um, I saw a little keyboard. Mm-hmm. on her coffee table. And I said, oh, do you play? She goes, nah, I just fool around with it or whatever. So, you know, we went into the kitchen. She offered me something to drink. We sat down. We had this conversation, and that's when she was explaining all those things that she mm-hmm. believed in, et cetera. Uh, she's very happy to to be under male chauvinists. She doesn't believe that women should have the ranks and, and positions that men do, mm. you know, uh, which I felt was very sad. Yeah. But uh, anyway, um, so then... I said, um, you know, well, you know, why don't you sing for me? She goes, oh, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know know the music, you know, that I do. I do country music. I said, well, you know, I know country music. Yeah. I said, <clears throat> why don't you sing your song for me? You know, the one that she had a little minor hit mm-hmm. with. And she goes, oh, well, I, I can't play it. I, I can play you the record. I got the forty-five. Mm-hmm. She gave me the forty-five for, for, for me to keep. Yeah. And I said, well, how about if I play it for you? Mm-hmm. And she goes, you, you you can play it on there. It's a little. Casio yeah. thing. And I said, well, yeah, I can play it on there. She goes, would you rather use a real piano? I said, you got one? I didn't see one in the living room. Right. She goes, yeah, come on. 
She leads me into her bedroom. Oh, okay. Now listen, it's getting to be like around 1030 at night. Mm -hmm. You know, I got there like around seven. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm in this clanswoman's bedroom. There's nothing in there but a bed, a dresser, a mirror, and the piano is an upright. It's at the it's at the foot of the bed. Mm-hmm. There's no space to put a bench between the foot of the bed and the keyboard, the the, the piano. Oh, so she uses her bed as the bench. As a stool, yeah, oh, as a bench. Exactly. Gotcha. Mm. So I'm sitting on her bed. <laughs> all right? A black man in a clanswoman's house in her bedroom, sitting on her on the edge of her bed, playing this piano. Yeah. I played her song and she was very impressed. Yeah. You know, that I I knew it, I could play it, whatever. Do you play from ear? I, I play from ear and I also read. Yeah. Um, I have a degree in music. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you know, country music and the blues are the same music. Yeah. The same three chords. Yeah. All right. So anyway, we did some Patsy Klein, some Loretta Lynn, some Tammy Wynette, nice. Hank Williams, all that stuff. Right. right? And next thing you know, it's, it's like midnight. I'm like, Man, I need to get out of here. <laughs> so you know, we'd lost track of time. Mm-hmm. And I said, listen, man, I, I, I'm really having a good time. I need to go. Right. <laughs> so we, she walks me out and um, I said, you know, I really, really appreciate your time. You know, and this was an extra bonus, you know, playing music with you. Yeah. You know. And um, I said goodbye, and she went to hug me, and I, I, I just right before she went to do this, I put my hand out. Uh-huh. And she like backed up, you know. Yeah. She, she'd lost sense of who she was hugging. Uh, you know, she forgot I was black. Mm-hmm. Right, and I put my hand out, and we shook hands. You know, and I said, "Damn, you know, I should have hugged her." Yeah. You know, but subsequently, of course, I hug her every time I well, see her. Well, you took now. it out on dates. So. Yeah, take it out several times. You know, <laughs> to eat dinner and you know go see a show and mm-hmm. uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the final line she said to you in the book, she's like, uh, "You're talking about, um, uh, you're talking about." Uh, people being able to get a job based off their merit, not the color of their skin. Right. And she's like, I believe the person who should get the job um, should be the one who can actually do the job and is quiet. Yeah. <laughs> like she was, and I'm like, that's such a typical woman just wanting peace and silence. So it just like made me laugh when she said that. But she was such a character. I'm glad to hear that she's out because, yeah. like I said, I you said you're working on a second book. Yes. So I would love to. I don't know exactly what it's. I'm assuming it's about this, but I don't know yeah, if you it'll give be, it'll updates have, to these. People. It'll have everything from that book, from the original book. Got it. Plus, it'll have updates on a lot of the people. Some okay, of them, perfect. Some of them are dead. Some of them are still in. Some of them are gone. Yeah. Out, and then it'll have new stories mm-hmm. because that book originally came out in 1997. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of things that have fueled white supremacy since 1997. Absolutely. We've had a black president. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, immigra- more immigration. We've had Donald Trump. We've had an insurrection. We've had a lot of things. So yeah. all of that needs to be updated. And uh, the, the, the working title for the new book is The Klan Whisperer. Oh. And it will cl- include neo-Nazi stories and other things as well. And right. just you know, the racist next door. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm excited for it. Let's talk about Roger Kelly for one second, because this was such this part of the book. I actually had to like put it down because it honestly, it did a mind fuck to me. So you're going to Howard University, which is a black college, black university. HBCU. Yeah. Yep. And they are talking about race. Mm -hmm. They invited you. Mm -hmm. You said you're going to bring Roger Kelly. They Mm -hmm. said that's fine. Mm -hmm. Roger Kelly is at this point the grand. He was the imperial wizard. Imperial wizard. Mm -hmm. So you get there, and then they immediately put him in the front row, and he's a yeah. little freaked out by yeah, it. Yeah, because he was not 
Um, I want, you know, so, so they're, they're launching this new show on Howard University Television. They already have, w, you know, their, their radio station. So now they, they got a television station. Yeah. And they're launching this new show. And it's, it's called, um, you know, race, you know, uh, black or right, black or white. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a play on words and stuff. Right. And um, anyway, so anybody can come. They want, uh, they want a studio audience. It's free. All you have to, but, you know, there's limited space. <clears throat> so all you have to do is call in and get your name on the list. And so you're guaranteed a seat. Mm-hmm. And then that's that, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, so they're going to have uh, Jesse Jackson, um, the head of the uh, local DC uh, ADL, mm-hmm. uh, the head of the Black Priest Association, Eleanor Holmes Norton, Congresswoman uh, Charlene Drew, who was the, I think, granddaughter or niece of uh, Dr. Charles Drew. Okay. Um, and uh, anyway, so I want Some pretty predominant names there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wanted, and they're going to talk about race. Mm-hmm. I wanted Roger Kelly to come to, to expose him to something, mm-hmm. you know, to outside of his echo chamber to see intellectual black people. Not that I agree with everyone on the panel, white or black, mm-hmm. but uh, I want him to see different things and, and hear about their experiences. Right. Now, how do you talk about uh the uh, how you talk about race in America without without mentioning the Klan? They're going to have the another impossible. right, the, and they're going to have another Klansman. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had originally invited him to come, mm-hmm. and then they decided they would have him by phone. He's going to phone in, and that would be Chester Doles, who's also mm-hmm. in the book. Right, and Chester and Roger are just complete opposites. I know them both. I, in fact, I introduced the two of them together one time. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, um, Roger said, "Yeah, he'd like to go. He'd be interested in in seeing this." Right. But he did not want to participate. He's, he's wanted to be an observer. I said, okay. So I called down to the producers, and um, I said, uh, hey, you know, my name's Daryl Davis. I graduated from Howard, blah, blah, blah. I'm working on a book on white supremacy, writing a book on the Klan. Uh, they knew who Roger Kelly was. Mm-hmm. And I said, I would like to bring him just as an observer. And they said, sure, that'd be great. You know, but he's not going to wear his Robin Hood, right? I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> he, you know, he'll come in regular clothes. And I said, okay, yeah, that, that, that's, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, so they put his name on the list, put my name on the list, put my girlfriend's name on the list at the time, mm-hmm. and my secretary Mary's name on the list. Mm-hmm. So Roger comes down to my house. We all get in my car. We head on down there. And uh, when we get there, um, everybody's name is on the list. You just walk over there and check your name off. Mm-hmm. right? And then the co-producer leads everybody into the green room, Sit. And then while the studio is getting prepared, mm-hmm. and he says, okay, let's all follow me into the studio. And then we all walk in, a whole bunch of people, and, sh- and she says, you know, to, to Roger, you sit right there. He like, looks at me. I look at him. I look at her like, why does she have to sit there? She says, because I said so. Like, and that was like the front row. Yeah, front row, very and, front row in the corner. Yeah, and he didn't want that. And so um, <clears throat> he says, what's going on, Daryl? <clears throat> I said, I don't know. You know, they recognized him. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so he sat there. And next thing you know, all these cameras come in on wheels, you know, those TV mm-hmm. studio, And they start filming him. And you know, totally ridiculous. I'm sitting right behind him. He's like, turn around, you know, what's going on? I said, man, I don't know. I said, yeah, why are y'all doing this? It's okay. No, no, that's mm-hmm. So... Had he signed like a waiver no, or anything? Okay, no. so that's already kind of yeah. a violation. Yeah. Yeah. So then... Um, the the the, uh, the original producer comes in the the big one mm-hmm. and um and she says okay so you know um 
you know, you know this is the host of the show, uh, Derek McGinty, blah, blah, blah. And um, Derek McGinty's mom was one of my uh, music teachers. Oh, cool. And uh, he became, you know, a radio announcer and reporter and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't very, I was not very pleased with him at all. But anyway, he comes in, and she's saying, okay, so now when I do like this, everybody clap. When I do like this, y'all settle down. And, you know, she's the cue lady over there, right? Got it. And so uh, then um, uh, Jesse Jackson comes in and all these other, you know, um, panelists. Mm -hmm. And so then um, they, they do the countdown, 10, 9, 8, and right around 7 or so, in come a couple uh, security. And... And they talk to uh, to Derek, the, uh, the the talk show host, mm -hmm. and he points at uh, at Roger, and they come over and says, "Sir, uh, you have to come out of the studio." I said, "Wait a minute, why does he have to come out? Uh, we're not talking to you. We're talking to him." I said, "Well, I'm talking to you. Why does he have to come out? Uh, we were told to, to to get him out of the studio." I said, "Why?" I said, "I said this show show's not going." He said, "He can watch it from the green room. It's closed circuit in there." I said, "He can watch it from right here." Well, it's, it's a liability, you know, somebody's, it's, it's a live show, mm -hmm. people out there might see him here. I said, you all put him in the front row. Yeah. He's happy to sit in the back row, you know, you're not shooting the camera on the back row, mm -hmm. you know. I'm just, we're just doing what we're told to do. The, the um, what do you call it? the director in the, in the booth told us we had to get him out of there. Right. So we walk out and um, I said, I want to see uh, Ed Jones, the uh, director. Mm -hmm. So they go and get him. And he said he got it from higher up that he couldn't be in there. I said, this is bull. He says, He's, his name's not on the list. I said, his name is on the list. I told Karen Campbell, Karen Campbell approved it. Mm -hmm. And so Karen Campbell said she knew nothing about it, but yet she, she couldn't explain how his name was on the list. Yeah. So they all lied. Yeah. And um, later on I found out, or I was told the vice president did not want him in there. You know, they, they just kept passing it along. Mm. All right, so I was very upset. The security was, was were very, very nice. And mm -hmm. as they escorted, I said, you know what? Screw this show. I'm not going to sit in the green room. I'm not going to have him sit in the green room and watch it. This is bull. I said, he came down here to learn something. Mm -hmm. And how do you talk about race and try to reconcil reconcile things? And, and here you are discriminating against people uh, the same way they, dis they discriminate against you. Right. And so as, as security, I said, you know, I, I, you know we're going, we're, we're leaving. So security escorted us back to my vehicle, and the security guys, they, they apologized to him. These were black security guards. Mm -hmm. They shook his hand and gave them um, their cards and said, hey, man, you know, we're really sorry. You know, we're just doing our job. He says, I understand. He gave them his card, his clan card. Oh, my God. <laughs> to the hour But, yeah, <laughs> I, I was very, guard. very upset yeah. with my alma mater for that because, yeah. you know, they, they gave a prime example of discriminating against somebody yeah. when they should have been leading the way and talking about this kind of discrimination. You know, you got all, all these people. You, you don't talk about race in America when you've had the Ku Klux Klan ever since 1865. Absolutely. It, unfortunately, it is as American as apple pie. Baseball and Chevrolet. It's really the truth. It's an unfortunate truth, but it is. And it I is. think the more we're willing to go through it and not ignore it, you're more willing to learn something. You can help deconstruct this type of mindset. Um, you know, after experiencing that, and now you hear today like, oh, black people can never be racist. What do you say to something like that? I say nobody has a monopoly on racism. I, I almost okay. feel like they're not reading the definition. No, they're not. Okay. 
racism is when you feel, well, first of all, there is no such thing as races. That's, mm -hmm. that's one of my most least liked words. Mm -hmm. There is only one race. There is no black race, white race, right. Hispanic race. race. It is the human race. Agreed. Okay, there are different colors within the race, yeah. different cultures. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> your DNA and my DNA is like 99% uh, the same. Absolutely. Even Darwin said when he wrote his first manuscript, like he actually used dogs as example. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, they're all canines, but they come right. in different coat colors. Exactly. You know, so, I mean, I, I do think that terminology needs to stop because yeah. that creates a real fraction. And, we, and, we, should, and we, should, we should revise our curriculum starting in elementary school. Absolutely. Okay? Uh, go back to Sunday school where God made a rainbow, yeah. all different colors. God right. loves us all. We're all God's children. But um, So what do you prefer to say? Like just ethnicities, groups, groups, colors? Subgroups. Sub yeah. Okay. Uh, we're, we're, but we're all the same, the same race. We're all a part of the human race. Of course. Okay. Um, and so, uh, yes, anybody can be racist. Mm -hmm. A racist is someone who feels that the color of their skin which, which de for them denotes their race, mm -hmm. right? Gives them superiority over someone else of another color, mm -hmm. whether it's a lighter color or a darker color. Mm -hmm. It's the color of their skin is how they define uh, their race, and it gives them superiority, which is bogus. Yeah. Okay. Obviously. Yeah. Um, now, does reverse racism exist? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But let's keep in mind, nothing, absolutely nothing. Not a car, not an airplane, not anything can go into reverse unless it's gone forward first. You can't reverse what has never gone. Gone. Oh, okay. That's a great point. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in order to have reverse racism, you must have had racism first. Right. And then it got reversed. Mm -hmm. All right. So Isaac Newton, for every action, there is what? An equal reaction. reaction. Correct. Reverse racism is the equal reaction to racism. Um, is it justified? No. No racism is justified. Mm -hmm. But it's a reaction. Mm -hmm. All right? So that's, that, that's why that exists. Yeah. So Roger Kelly, you would say, it was... Um, he was discriminated against. Discriminated against. Yes, absolutely. That was reverse racism. That was reverse racism. At that point, Okay, yeah. yes. Yeah, definitely. And um, he wasn't discriminated against because he was white. There were plenty of white people in that room. Mm -hmm. He was discriminated against because he was a Klansman. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm not supporting the Klan whatsoever, but he's there. He's not there in Robin Hood. He's not there to participate. He's there to learn about other people's racist experience, right. which might help him see like, oh, wow, I never knew that. Wow. And, and give him reason to have cognitive dissonance to change. He was like almost the white version of you at that moment. Yeah, pretty much learning yeah. something, right? Yeah, exactly. like you would go to the Klan. To learn. He's coming to Howard University. Exactly. Not that I want to compare Howard University right. to Klan, but I'm just saying like right. the predominant And he trusted me, yeah. a black man. Mm -hmm. He did not bring his bodyguard with him that he used to bring all the time. Right. I, he trusted me. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. And this is what I let him into. Mm -hmm. I, I felt embarrassed. I felt angry. Did it hurt your relationship at all? No, 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 not at all. No. Not at all. No, yeah. no. So actually you in the book, I mean, you and Roger kept this relationship. He ends up leaving the clan and you're actually the uh, godfather to his daughter. Yeah. I uh, now, uh, but I, I ended up, you know, uh, withdrawing that because um, his mm -hmm. wife's uh, brother had wanted it. 
Oh, so, okay. But yeah, initially, Honorary. yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that he he got out. Now, when you first met him, I know this story is very famous. It was in your TED Talk on, you know, you guys met in that hotel. Right. What did you think when he first walked in the door? Because he's kind of a short man, a short stature man. Like, mm-hmm. were you, did you already know what he looked like at this point? Yeah, I knew what he looked like, but oh, I did okay. not know him. Yeah. Okay, so when he walked in the room, were you... Were you afraid or are you more just like, oh, this is it? This no, is it. I, I was not afraid. Um, I've never I've never really been afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have some kind of a, a visceral reaction mm-hmm. uh, at one point. When, you know, he and I were sitting across this little lamp table, mm-hmm. a coffee table in the, in the room, mm-hmm. closer than you and I are sitting right now. And... He's sitting there in a suit and tie, and he's saying all this stuff mm-hmm. that was racist. And you know, I'm I'm sitting there, you know, I'm listening to him. That's what I'm here for. You know, I want to I want him to tell me the truth. You know, don't hide anything. Be you. Yep. Right. And so I'm listening, and yeah, it's negative. You know, it's not really bothering me. You know, because I know who I am. Yeah. And I know he doesn't know me. He's, his projection of me is based upon what he sees in the color of my skin because yeah. of his echo chamber. Mm-hmm. So I'm just sitting here listening. And then um, at one point, uh, he, <clears throat> he came in with his briefcase. Mm-hmm. I just somehow knew that his robe and hood were in that briefcase. Mm. I didn't tell him to bring it. I just, I just knew it was in there. And uh, I said, you know, you bring your robe and hood? He said, yeah. He pointed to it, and I said, you know, would you put it on for me? And we take some pictures? He goes, sure. So he pops it on the bed, pulls mm-hmm. it out, walks, took off his, he had a suit and tie on, took off his jacket, puts on the robe, his bodyguard is fixing his hood and mm-hmm. cape, and I'm sitting there looking at this. Now, I've seen people in their robes and hoods. Right. Right? But here's somebody putting it on right in front of me. I had all kinds of feelings well up in me. I, I was angry. Imagine. I was bitter. I was violent. I was feeling all kinds of stuff. Like, man, people like that. Wearing those things, mm-hmm. you know, they did things to my ancestors. People looked like me. Yeah. I could jump out of my chair and just, you know, but I had to remind myself, Daryl, you know, you you invited him here. He came. Yeah. You asked true. him to put it on. He complied. So do you go and beat him up for that? No, you know. Yeah. Now people were starting to get mad at Roger Kelly for your your friendship. Yeah. And one of them even called him the N lover, but he yeah. spelled it wrong. Yeah. He wrote Niger lover. Yeah. Well, you know, well, you're dealing with the clan. <laughs> Ridiculous. That, and he, so eventually, did a lot of people go against him because of the friendship with you? Some did. Not, not everybody. Not everyone. Yeah. Uh, some people felt that he had been brainwashed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had somehow, you know, um, he was in bed with me and, you know, all kinds of crazy nonsense. Right. And, and, and what he said to me was, you're not going to believe this, Daryl. I'm beginning to get anonymous hate mail from, from, from people that I know are in my group. The same Stop. kind of mail that I used to send out. Oh, my God. <laughs> and <coughs> So it came full circle. It came full circle. And, and that also helped him see how yeah. ridiculous yeah. this was. Definitely. You know, I, I'll tell you a couple things perception, mm-hmm. and, and also some things that I've learned. Uh, I'm, I'm age 65, and I have been to 62 countries on six continents. 
I've been to, I've performed in all 50 states, mm-hmm. which means, yes, I have a lot of frequent flyer miles and hotel right. points, but more than that, what it means is that I have been exposed to a multitude of ethnicities. I've, expo- I've only been exposed to one race, yep. but a multitude of ethnicities, colors of skin, mm-hmm. religions, cultures, ideologies, belief systems, etc. All of that has helped shape who I have become. Sure. And I've always said that my favorite quote is by Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, called the travel quote, in which Mark Twain said, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness, and many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. And that is so true. But all that travel does not make me a better human being than somebody else. It just gives me a broader and better perception of yeah. humanity than people who have not traveled. And More what experience. I have, yeah. And what I have gleaned from all that travel, cause you know, when you take my childhood travel with my folks mm-hmm. starting in 1961 at the age of three. Right. And now I'm doing it again as an adult performer, mm-hmm. lecturer, going to different places. When you combine those two sets, that's how I come up with the 62 countries. All right. So what I've learned is this. No matter how far I've gone from our country, the United States, or this right next door to Canada, Mm -hmm. right next door to Mexico, or halfway around the planet, no matter how different the people I encounter may be, Mm -hmm. maybe they don't look like me, they don't speak my language or worship as I do, Mm -hmm. I always conclude one thing. Everybody I've met is a human being. And as such, every human being wants these five core values in their lives. Everybody wants to be loved. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to be respected. We all want to be heard. We all want to be treated fairly and truthfully. And we all want the same things for our family as anybody else wants for their family. Absolutely. And if we can learn to apply those five core values or any of those five values, mm-hmm. when we find ourselves in an adversarial situation or a culture or society in which we are unfamiliar or uncomfortable, I can guarantee you that your navigation of that situation, that culture, that society, will be much more smooth and much more positive. And it doesn't even have to be about race. In fact, Mm -hmm. let's take race off the table. There are a Mm -hmm. lot of other hot topics. Abortion, nuclear weapons, Mm -hmm. the last presidential election, the upcoming one, the war between Hamas and Israel, the Ukraine and Russian war, um, you know, global warming, whatever. You're mm-hmm. on one side, somebody else is on the other. Mm-hmm. Give that person a platform. Allow them to express their views yeah. and apply those five core values. You will have a civil conversation. You will learn something. You will teach something. And you may even, you know, come to either a, change your mind or change their mind or at least agree to continue the conversation. Because when two enemies are talking, they're not fighting. They're talking. Yeah, definitely. You know? They may be getting a little loud, perhaps disagreeing, mm-hmm. but at least they're talking. It's when the conversation ceases that the ground becomes fertile for violence. So you want to keep the conversation going. I am an extreme firm believer that a missed opportunity for dialogue is mm-hmm. a missed opportunity for conflict resolution. Yeah. I believe that a missed opportunity for conversation is a missed opportunity for reconciliation. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, what I also love about what you do and I, I dislike your uh, the your critics because the truth is, 
a problem like this needs a multifaceted approach. Exactly. You have the personality, the acumen to sit here and have these long form conversations with some people that otherwise would not have the patience. And maybe the people without the patience can do more work within the community, you know, and it's a multifaceted <clears throat> approach. I'm glad you said that. And let's, let's, let's give an example of that mm -hmm. in another context. Okay. So let's say a hostage situation. Mm -hmm. right? um, let's say you live next door to somebody and you hear a lot of yelling and screaming between some husband and wife. They're always mixing it up. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, you're hearing pots and pans flying and yelling and screaming, right? So you call the cops. Mm -hmm. Usually two cops are going to show up. And they're going to knock on the door, go in, take the husband to the bedroom, take the wife to the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Each one's going to get each other's story. Right. And then tell them, hey, you know, you all need to calm down. You're disturbing the peace. <clears throat> if we have to come back, you know, we're going to cite you for, you know, viol noise violation and right. lock you up and whatever. Um, <clears throat> so you all be cool. That's that. All right. Uh, and they leave. But then a week later or something like that, um, it, it, it escalates. Husband lost his job. You know, mm -hmm. he's mad. His boss, he went off on the boss at work. Boss fired him. And now he goes home, and we, we've heard this story way too many times. He has mm -hmm. a gun. He's going to kill his wife and kill his kids and probably kill himself. Yeah. You know, we see that all the time, right, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, and, and you're hearing all this, mm -hmm. you know, through the window or whatever. You call yeah. the cops. Well, this time, it's not just those two officers in uniform that show up. Mm -hmm. You know, they come, but so does the SWAT team and, and all these other people, right? Right. So the two guys in the uniform who came up before – they don't go to the front door. They stay back here with the bullhorn. Hey, you know, come out, your hands up above your head, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. SWAT team, they're all around your house, peeking in your windows with periscopes and telescopes on the right. guns. They may even drop down on your roof from the helicopter or whatever, right? They're everywhere, mm -hmm. okay? <clears throat> and they're trying to get a beat on you. So if the two cops with the megaphone, if, if you're responding to, to their commands, mm -hmm. send one of your kids out, you know, whatever, then and 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 that person sends his kid out. Then the the the, the leader of the whole thing says, "Okay, everybody else, stand down. This is working here. Just, just keep, right. stand down. Keep your place, right?" And they keep on going this way. If that's not working, and one of the sharpshooters has a bead on your head and can take you out without hurting one of the children or the wife, mm -hmm. you're gone. Right. Okay. The the main goal is to get those hostages back safely at whatever cost without hurting anybody, yeah. especially the, the kids or the wife, right? So I, I got him in my sights. I can take him out. You mm -hmm. know, the kids are, in, are, are on the other side of the room. Go for it. Boom. Mm -hmm. He's gone. All right? Yeah. But then you got another guy. He's calling on the phone saying, hey, listen, you know, wh what do you need? You know, you, you want some food? You, 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 can you send out one of your – just send out one of your kids. Right. Hostage negotiator, right? Mm -hmm. If he's responding to that guy, commander says, everybody stand down, let – so and so, right? Okay, so that's a multifaceted approach. Yeah, you got the negotiator, you got the SWAT team, you got the guys with the bullhorn. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's trying something different. Whatever he responds to is what you go with. The Absolutely. main thing is to get the hostages out. So my my method is not a um, all size fits you know one size fits all. Right, there, it's a multifaceted thing. I do what I do. I do it well. All right, I'm not knocking anybody else. Let's all coordinate. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like like that team of negotiators, SWAT, and so forth and so on, and and 
and put ourselves together for the common cause. Exactly. All right. But some people, they don't want to do that. You know, no, it has to be done this way or no way. You know, it's not our job to teach people how to do this and do that. I feel that's ego. And it lack is ego. Of, and lack of experience. It is ego. And, and even you have that even within, with intelligence yeah. agencies. They don't share information. This is true, yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, what's the deal? You know, are, are we not all on the same team here? Exactly. I think also a lot <clears throat> of it, um, y- yes, ego, a lack of emotional maturity, maybe a little low emotional IQ. Um, because there are people in your book, your long-form conversation does not work. Mm-hmm. And it's never going to work. They'll probably end up fighting to the death on something right. ridiculous. End up and you have jail. to accept that. Now, I've, yes. had, I've had people, I mean, I know not everybody's going to change. Yeah. There will be people who will go to their grave being hateful, violent, and racist. I know some of them, and they've already gone. Yeah. But I, but I also know some of those very same people that I've gotten into it with, I've, I've even you know beat up and put in jail and put mm-hmm. in the hospital, have come back to me and apologized. Yeah. And they have reformed. I never thought that would happen. Okay, but um, realize that they may not change, you know, but what you do is don't prioritize them. Don't give up on them. Just Mm -hmm. move them down the list Mm -hmm. and deal with prioritize the ones who are willing to sit down and have the conversation. Even if they don't agree with you, at least they're willing to sit down and have that conversation because then a seed can be planted and then you can come back and water that seed. Yeah. You know, and then as you do that, you know, then you can work your way down to the ones who are more resistant, et cetera. Yeah, and I find the nuance today is debilitating. Like, they're taking a nuance, like, oh, well, um, because of this, we can't move forward. Well, nuance should help you refine your path so you can keep progressing forward, not give you analysis paralysis and you can't do anything. And that's where I see a lot of the thinking is just like, it's not my job to teach you. I don't need to work on myself. In a lot of ways, it, it sounds selfish, but I don't want to call it selfish. I do think it's much more layered than that. I just can't think of a better word at the moment. I mean, we've been, you know, in a culture where I'm not my brother's keeper. Yeah. I had to work to get this, so he's got to work to get that. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe we need to change that to I am my brother's keeper. Because mm-hmm. we don't have everything. Right. And what, what I have, you may not have. But if I give you something, you may be able to give me what I don't have. Right. So it's that teamwork together. You know, it's, it's what I try to, uh, to emphasize. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, and a, a big thing is this perception. You've heard one's perception is one's reality. And that is so true. Whatever somebody perceives mm-hmm. becomes real for them. Even if it's not real, it's their reality. Mm-hmm. And you cannot change somebody's reality. Uh, if you try, you're going to get pushback. Yeah. If you keep on trying, it may be get it may it may be violent pushback. Right. Right. Okay. Because they only know what they know, mm-hmm. and basically you're you're calling them a liar. You're telling them you know they don't know this, and and you know it, and and yeah. you know so they're gonna they're gonna resist. <clears throat> if you want somebody's reality to change, do not attack their reality. Mm. What you do is you offer them a better perception or perceptions, plural. Mm -hmm. And if they resonate with one of your perceptions, they will then change their own reality because their perception becomes their reality. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of go through the back door, not right onto the reality, Mm -hmm. right? So I'll give you a hypothetical example. Let's say that you have a seven or eight year old brother 
And he goes to a magic show with his buddies. And he comes home and tells you, Bells, you're not going to believe this. You know, this magician on stage, mm -hmm. <clears throat> he asked for a female volunteer, and 50 women raised their hand. He picked one out, brought her up on stage, asked her what her name was, where she's from. Mm -hmm. Then he had her climb into this long box and stick her feet out the hole at that end, stick her head out the hole at this end. Then he closed the box, and he took a chainsaw, and he went right through the middle of the box, right through the bottom. Mm -hmm. He cut her in half. Then he told her to wiggle her feet, and she wiggled her feet. And you say, listen, <clears throat> it didn't exactly happen. Like, yes, it did. I saw it. I was there. You weren't even there. I saw it with my own eyes. Right. He's 100% true. Yeah. Right? You were not there. You did not see what he saw. How dare you tell him he didn't see what he saw and you weren't even there? Right. You you have attacked his reality. A yeah, personal attack at this point. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So now he's upset. You're, you're basically telling him he didn't see something that he saw. Right? And to make it even more real for you, he tells you that after she wiggled her feet, this magician took the half with the feet mm -hmm. and moved that half of the box over here to stage right and the half with the head over there to stage left. Mm -hmm. And then he walked over there, and he had a conversation with the woman's head, and she talked back. Mm -hmm. And then he brought the two halves back together, and he did some abracadabra over the top of the box and opened the lid, and the lady crawled out full form. Back to, she was cut in half, back together, no blood. Mm -hmm. and, and you say, listen, it's an illusion. No, it's not an illusion. I saw it. I was there. Her feet were over here. Her head was over there. You know, on and on and on, mm -hmm. right? You've attacked his reality again. Now he's really getting pissed. Mm -hmm. So rather than attack his reality, what you say is, listen, I, I hear what you're saying. Do you think that maybe <clears throat> it's possible that perhaps you say he asked for a volunteer and 50 women raised their hand and he picked one out? Do you think that maybe it's possible that this woman he chose might work for him? She knows the trick. She travels all around the country with him, sits in that same theater seat, every theater they go to, that way he zeroes right in on her. Right. When, all they, when everybody else is raising their hand. He brings her up on stage, and then when she climbs into the box, there is a pair of mannequin dummy legs laying on the floor of the box mm -hmm. that are wearing the same stockings and same high heels that she has on. They have little handles on the end of the pole. Mm -hmm. She just picks them up, shoves them out the hole, yeah. And she brings her knees up under her chest. So her whole body is on that half of the box. So when the saw passes through, it doesn't even touch her. And when he says, wiggle your feet, she just grabs those handles and shakes those poles, and the feet wiggle in, you know, outside that hole. Mm -hmm. And then he takes that half and moves it over there. Mm -hmm. Now those legs cannot move anymore because she cannot reach those poles. Yeah. So he has to take your eyes off of that and distract you. Mm -hmm. So he puts the head over here, and he walks over there. You're going to follow him. He's going to talk to her. So that way you're not looking at those you know, motionless legs. And of course she's going to talk back. Her whole body is there. Mm -hmm. And then he brings the two halves back together. She pulls the legs out, leaves them on the floor of the box, and she climbs out. And then your brother says, hmm, you know, that your might, source. <laughs> yeah, that might be the, the only way yeah. that could work. Yeah. You have offered him a better perception mm -hmm. with which he has resonated, and he has changed his own reality. Yeah. That's what I do. Honestly, it's really no different in a lot of ways than arguing, I, maybe not arguing, debating with someone about conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. I, I They're very similar in that faction. It's, it's 
it's hard to sit there and say certain things without them, you know, being like, prove yourself, prove mm -hmm. yourself. Now, your I will sword. say this. Mm -hmm. I did see David Copperfield make an elephant disappear off the stage. <laughs> that guy's crazy. <laughs> and he did it. No, that guy's crazy, seriously. Some of them, I have to admit, I'm like, what the fuck is going on there? <laughs> Can I go back to your childhood real sure. quick? Because I thought this was really interesting, what you wrote in the book. So when you started getting deeply curious about racism... You actually wrote a letter to James Earl Ray, who yes. killed Martin Luther King. Yes. What did you say, and did he write you back? Yes, he did. I okay. still have his letters, yeah. So what did it say? <clears throat> I never believed that James Earl, Ray, James Earl Ray killed Dr. King. Oh, interesting. Okay, I've never, never heard this. That. Yeah. Okay. Um, I did a lot of studying on it. Mm -hmm. And um, he was definitely a racist, no question about it. But he did not have the mental wherewithal to devise this kind of a plan. Right, um, the person who killed Dr. King would have to be a white person, you know, um, somebody a throwaway mm -hmm. from society, mm -hmm. somebody somebody wouldn't worry about, didn't have money to to defend themselves, a patsy, somebody mm -hmm. that they could set up and get away with it. James Earl Ray uh, was a was a petty criminal. He specialized in robbing mom and pop convenience stores, gas stations. He always got caught. He stepped off the sidewalk. In the middle of the block, you get caught for jaywalking. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he was a failure, all right? Uh, and very, like, third grade, I forgot it was third grade or eighth grade education, okay. all right? So he was set up. And now his brother, Jerry Ray, uh, was in the Klan in Alabama. Mm. And uh, anyway, so James Earl Ray was set up. And I always suspected that. And um, I, I wrote him. You know, I think, okay, well, the man's in prison. Mm -hmm. um, he has nothing better to do than read my letters and write me back. Right. And that's exactly what he did. Wow. So we had, we had, <coughs> excuse me. Mm -hmm. we had this uh, correspondence. And uh, he said, you know, some, some things that were racist, but he said he did not kill Dr. King, and I believe him. Now, back then, a white man would not go to prison okay. for murdering a black man, just in the, especially in the South. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and certainly would not get the death penalty. So it happened so, outside the hotel, or a motel, correct? Yeah, the Lorraine Motel in Lorraine. Memphis, Tennessee. That's right, Memphis, okay, Tennessee. Okay, now, understand this. Martin Luther King was a target. It definitely. He, he had a target on his back 24-7, mm -hmm. um, 365 days a year, mm -hmm. because he was too powerful a black man. Yep. All right? J. Edgar Hoover didn't like him. Nobody else liked him except, you know, people who believed in his vision. Mm -hmm. um, for example... No matter who the president is, whether it's Obama, Bush, um, Biden, whoever, mm -hmm. if they were going to come here to this building, you would not know how they're going to travel here or what time or what route they're going to take. Right. Only the top brass of the Boca Raton police are going to know and the Secret Service mm -hmm. and some FBI or whatever. That's it. Yeah. Okay? Because they don't want to compromise this person's safety. We know what happened to JFK. We know what happened to Ronald Reagan. Et cetera, et cetera, George, uh, Jerry Ford, all that, right? So um, Martin Luther King was the same way. Nobody knew what room Martin Luther King was going to stay in except his entourage and the top of the Memphis Police Department and FBI, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. right? How did James Earl Ray get a rooming house room right across from his, from his room? Mm. How did he get that information that had a direct aim there, okay? Yeah. Um, 
there were two, uh, you know, back in the day you had police officers who walked the beat. Okay, in that part of Memphis, there were two black cops who were assigned to that area. And that morning when they came to, uh, to report, you know, for their duty, mm-hmm. they were told to go over to West Memphis or somewhere across town uh, because that, that precinct was two people short. So they went over there, and when they got there, the commander there said, what are you guys doing here? And they said, well, we're sent over here. You're two people short. No, we're not. Mm-hmm. They got the two black cops off that beat mm. that morning. Um, James Earl Ray had no marksmanship training. One shot. That's with no marksmanship training. Mm. Okay. Um, he was set up and, and he was told, you know, just plead guilty. You know, we'll get you out. You just you do a couple months. We'll get you out and boom, that'd be it. And you're paying him all kinds of money. And, um, once you plead guilty, that's it. Yeah. You know, there's no reversing that. Most cases, uh, he later recanted. He wanted another trial. They wouldn't give it to him. You know, his his, his lawyer vanished and all that kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. took the money. Um, wow. He did. He did not do it. Okay, was he a racist? Yes. Yeah. But he he was also set up. Um, and you know, Martin Luther King had become too powerful for a black man. Yes. Right. He had the he had the biggest demonstration ever. It was the march on Washington. How it was like how many million. I don't know. I think it was like two or three million. For that time, that yeah, was incredible. Exactly. I mean, exactly. the Capitol was just yeah. completely overflowed. And Lincoln I do Memorial, love yeah. in your um, documentary how you point out that part on the Lincoln Memorial where exactly. he stood. and the That's one, a slap in the face. It is a slap in the face. And, you know, I went to the Lincoln Memorial. This is years ago. And I remember walking by it, and I'm like, oh, that's what that is. And I agree with you. It's not enough. No. Why don't you just take a gold marker and mark out that block so it just stands out? Yeah. You know? Or but see, they want people just to walk across it. You know, yeah. Because you just trash it. It's like putting down the American flag and somebody walk across it. No. I Well, you know, I don't know if this is better, but they, he did get the newer monument. But, no, I agree. That area needs to – they need to do better with that. Yeah. Agreed. Speaking of monuments – um. How do you feel about everyone wanting to take down the Confederate monuments? Do you agree with that sentiment? What should we do with them? <coughs> okay, let's talk about that. Yes, Confederate statues need to come down. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, do they need to be ripped down and torn up and destroyed? No. But let's understand something and fact check me. Mm-hmm. You'll see that I'm right. Those Confederate statues, the majority of them, well, first of all, none of them, not one of them, went up right after the Civil War. The first ones appeared in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. The Civil War ended in 1865. Mm-hmm. So, okay, long time after. Exactly. Okay, and there were very few that appeared in the 1920s. The majority of those statues, Robert E. Lee and Andrew Jackson, mm-hmm. so forth, appeared in the 1960s when uh, integration came in, boom, boom, put them yeah, up, okay? Yeah. All right, as a slap in the face to, uh, you know, to maintain segregation and, mm-hmm. and oppose integration. Yeah. So those aren't even Civil War statues. In the 1960s, right. 100 years later, mm-hmm. okay, 19, 1960s, not 1860s, right? <laughs> right, right. Okay, so yes, they need to come down, mm-hmm. right? They should be taken down, not ripped up, taken down. Mm-hmm. You, wanna re- you wanna do whatever you wanna do with them, build a Confederate Memorial Museum, 
Mm-hmm. You raise the money yourselves. I'm not paying for it. Right. Okay. Um, build a Confederate Memorial Park if you want. Mm-hmm. Put them there. You can go there and and plant flowers and kneel down and mm-hmm. you know pray to your great great ancestors who fought in the Confederacy. I have great great ancestors who fought in the Confederacy. I am mm-hmm. a descendant of slaves. Uh, my parents, even though I was born in Chicago, my parents are from Virginia. Virginia was the seat of the Confederacy, mm-hmm. Robert E. Lee and all that. Right. Slaves had to fight for their slave owners. Yeah, okay? that's true. So my ancestors fought in the, in the Confederacy. Do I honor the Confederacy? Hell no. No. I honor my, my ancestors, mm-hmm. okay? But um, that's what you need to do. Those flags and statues should not be erected on public property, flying above the state capitol and things like that, mm-hmm. because that only represents a part of America. Right. Now, let's understand something. The Confederate flag, uh, in fact, I brought one here. Oh, okay. yeah. This one here. Okay, everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows what this is, right? Yep. Okay. The crossbars and stars, the rebel flag. Mm-hmm. Officially, this is the Confederate battle flag. A lot okay. of people just call it the Confederate flag. Mm-hmm. It is not the flag of the Confederacy, mm-hmm. which is the red and white stripes, the blue square and the silver stars in a circle designating right. the, the colonies. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the flag of the Confederacy. This is the Confederate battle flag, which means it flew during the Civil War for the preservation of slavery. Correct. The Civil War was fought over slavery. Um, in the North, <clears throat> that's, what, that's what you're taught in school. In the South, no, 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 no. Civil War was fought over states' rights. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true the state's right to own a slave. <laughs> right. The South has a lot to be proud of, but slavery is not one of those things. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, if, if you were to go on Google, just anybody out there listening to this show, mm-hmm. just go on Google, type in KKK rally, and then click on images, mm-hmm. and you will see people in robes and hoods flying these things and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Right. And you say, oh, well, that's, that's, that's a hate group, and blah, blah, blah. This is what this stands for. Yeah. Okay, it does not stand for Southern heritage. A lot of people try to assign it. You know, I remember when, when um, you know, a lot of Southern rock groups, Molly Hatchett, Leonard Skinner, uh, Almond Brothers, and, and Alabama, and all these other groups, you know, would have these things on their stage or on, mm-hmm. their, um, on their album covers uh, because they were ignorant. They did not know. Mm-hmm. I'm not faulting them. They were not, I, I know some of these people, they're not racist mm-hmm. people. But they had not gotten the proper education, Understood. and right. now they understand they don't put they don't fly those on their stages anymore because right. they know what it stands for. All right, uh, it fought for the preservation of slavery. Now, let me say this: We Americans, we went to okay. Well, let me say, do you know who the largest white population uh, where where the, where the largest white population in this country is from? White Americans uh, from uh, I would say Northeast, maybe. No, no, no. no. Where, where, where is their heritage? Oh, their heritage. Oh, England, obviously. England, Scotland, Ireland. That's the second largest. UK. Okay. Yeah. The largest is German American. Oh, okay. Okay. British yeah. American are the second largest. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we went to war against Great Britain. Mm-hmm. And we beat Great Britain, mm-hmm. which is why we celebrate the 4th of July. There are plenty of Americans in this country, as you pointed out, Irish, Scottish, English, mm-hmm. okay? We love Great Britain. We're friends. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're of English descent, you can go to Great Britain and find some of your third cousin removed and so forth and so on, right? That's great. But Americans of British descent 
don't run out and build statues to King George III and fly the Union Jack. Yeah, that's okay? a good point. The loser does not get to build his statues or fly his flags on the mm-hmm. winner's property. Mm-hmm. We went to war against Japan in 1941 when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. We have tons of Japanese Americans in this country who are as American as you and I, mm-hmm. right? They love their Japanese ancestry, but they became American. Mm-hmm. They don't run out and build statues uh, to Emperor Hirohito and fly the Japanese flag, mm-hmm. right? We went to war against Germany, which has the greatest white population in this country. Most, most white Americans are of German descent, mm-hmm. all right? Um, they don't run out and build statues to Adolf Eichmann and Joseph Goebbels and Dr. Mengele, Karl Mengele, mm-hmm. or Adolf Hitler, or fly swastikas unless they are neo-Nazis or something. I mean, the swastika's banned in Germany. Exactly, and, and, yeah. and let me tell you about that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> the winner does not, I mean, the loser does not get to build his statues or fly his flags on the mm-hmm. winner's property. Guess what? The South lost the war. Mm-hmm. The Confederacy needs to get over it. Yes. They don't get to fly these flags on public property. Mm-hmm. They can fly it in their house or on their own property or in some memorial garden or museum. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, Germany took the right step. They banned the swastika from being displayed not only in public. You can't even fly it on your own private property, even inside mm-hmm. your house. Yeah. Not if even movies. Exactly. Okay? Mm-hmm. They want nothing to do with it. They're ashamed of it. You know, it... Yeah. And rightfully so. Yeah. Guess what? You know, I go to Germany quite a bit, you know, and when you see neo-Nazis, you know, they, they can march up and down the street, mm-hmm. but they can, okay, now, you know, they, they would march. <clears throat> this is something that I got from, um, from a, a neo-Nazi leader that, mm-hmm. you know, that's no longer um, involved. See? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So this is one of their flags. Mm-hmm. They used to march with these flags. They, they, they still do in this country, right. but in Berlin, they use these. Cannot do that anymore, Cannot. right? Yeah. So guess what they use now? Uh, yeah. It's crazy to be in Munich or, or Berlin and, to see, and see somebody walking down the street with this. <laughs> That's Because ridiculous. to them, this stands for white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Okay. I got to um, ask, does TSA ever look at your bag yes. and be like, what the fuck is going <laughs> yeah. on? Yeah, we, ha- we have that. We've had that. <laughs> Um, this is a Klan flag. Yeah. Okay. You see the Myope, the blood drop emblem, right, and the four Ks, mm-hmm. Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. So, and of course, uh, I showed you the rope. This is the, um, the hood. This is Roger Kelly's hood and show you his robe earlier. Mm-hmm. This is the hood. This is the mask. Members who want anonymity, mm-hmm. they wear this mask, which is attached by three snaps and or uh, Velcro. Yeah. And um, so they see you. You don't see them. They peep at you through these eyelets. If they don't care that their face is exposed, whatever, mm-hmm. they just detach the mask. And um, I have to say it's reminiscent of a dunce cap. Yeah. And they, and they know that. <laughs> I hate to say and they know that. that. Uh, actually, I love to say that, but and it's um, apropos. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is ridiculous. Was there a reason it's a cone shape? There is, um, <clears throat> there is a Spanish. You know, they, they've taken everything from somewhere else. I've noticed that even you know, you want to like talk about Arab cultural approach, a, appropriation, right? 
there is a there is a Spanish tradition. Yeah. I forgot the name of it. You can look it up. But they wear these tall things. These. Yeah. That, that look like clan hoods. Well, of course, they think Spaniards, you know, are yeah, white. So. Right. And they, these things are very tall. I like, <laughs> yeah. can't be twice as high as this. Yep. But, you know, that's where they got that from. I gotcha. And, they, you know, they used to wear sheets and pillowcases, and now they, they manufacture these. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's just so funny that you travel around with those. I understand why. You have to. Yeah. I, regardless, you have to. We can't. I think also... Though I can imagine, the only reason I would, I feel any type of way looking at this, obviously, because I know what it stands for. Also being here in Boca Raton, which is predominantly Jewish, big Mm -hmm. Jewish community here. So just seeing this, I'm just like, oh God, if someone sees it, but of course you're holding it. Um, But we have to take the fear off the table and talk through this. And I think the more you understand it, the less you'll be afraid of it. Listen, we need to stop worrying about what is here. Yeah. Okay. There are people who wear shirts like this, dresses like yours, mm-hmm. suits and ties, a judge's robe, mm-hmm. a police uniform, a uh, Hawaiian shirt and Bermuda shorts who feel the same way as people who wear these things. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there's more fear about these things. Yeah. All right. I would rather see somebody in this hood and this robe than see somebody in a suit and tie or Bermuda shorts and, uh, and T-shirt or whatever, who feels the same way. Because when I see this, I know what it stands yeah, for. Yeah, you identify I it. identify, okay, I know, I know what I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. And somebody who's smiling in my face and stabbing me in the back. Yeah. Um, for example, mm-hmm. if you were to take, let's just say, 10 of your male black friends, mm-hmm. and you were to, uh, no, t- t- 10 of your white male friends, and, and, and pose this question to them, Let's say you're out late at night, you're coming home from a date or you're working, you know, graveyard, whatever, and you're coming home mm-hmm. on a lonesome road by yourself. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, those lights are flashing in your rearview mirror. You're being pulled over for whatever reason. Right. Um, maybe you're speeding, maybe you weren't, but you are being pulled over. Mm-hmm. You ask these 10 white guys, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? They're going to say, I hope I don't get a ticket. I hope I don't get points on my license. I hope my insurance doesn't go up. Right. Right. And these are all valid concerns. All right. Pose that same scenario and question to 10 of your black male friends. Mm-hmm. You know, you're coming home at three o'clock in the morning. Lights go on. You know, what do you, you know, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Mm-hmm. I hope I don't get shot. I hope I don't get beat up. Yeah. Not every cop is a racist cop. Mm-hmm. Not every cop is a brutal cop or mm-hmm. on a power trip or whatever. But there is enough of that in history yeah. that it triggers those thoughts. You know? Sure. And, and so. This is what people have to understand, which is why uh, black kids, you know, when we turn 16, we get from our parents what's called the talk. All right. And we're told, you know, hey, you know, you're going to get pulled over. You're starting to drive. You're going to get pulled over. Mm -hmm. Do not argue with the police. Keep your hands on the wheel. Do exactly what they tell you. If if, if they were wrong, don't argue with them. Just give Mm -hmm. them your license registration. They give you a ticket. Thank them. Sign it. We'll fight it in court. Mm-hmm. Do not debate them on the street. You will lose. All right. Not only will you lose the, the charge, you'll lose your life possibly. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we're taught to do. All right. Um, white kids don't get that talk. Mm-hmm. They get another talk when they turn 16. Um, don't get pregnant. Use protection. I don't <laughs> yeah. want to be a grandparent. You know, mm-hmm. that's the talk they get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Did your parents have that talk with you? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And 
you know, like I said, I was changing schools every two years because mm-hmm. uh, that's, you know, the assignment overseas, right? And yeah. in between, I'm coming back home. Well, my dad wanted me to do, you know, high school and college in the same place. Yeah. And so um, we came to Potomac, Maryland, which is a very uh, uh, affluent um, suburb of Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And we were the second black family in the neighborhood. My dad drove a Mercedes. He was getting pulled over in our neighborhood all the time. Mm. Okay. So I, I had a Chevrolet when mm-hmm. I turned 16. And, um, you know, they sat me down and said, give me that talk. Yeah. And sure enough, you know, it began happening. And I remember it happened right in my neighborhood. I, I'm, I'm getting pulled over. Mm-hmm. And I remember cops saying, um, you know, license registration. Uh, okay, okay, here, why am, I, why am I being stopped? Remain in your car, I'll be with you in a moment. You know, they never answer your question, you didn't go back. Right. And back then they didn't have computers in the car, right? They go on the radio, they call dispatch, run your tag number and your license and right. what you wanted or whatever, right? Eventually they come back out, it takes about 15 minutes, mm-hmm. come back out, okay, Mr. Davis, you're, uh, you're free to go. Uh, the reason I stopped you, uh, we had a report of a vehicle matching this uh, description that was stolen from this uh, neighborhood you know, earlier today. <gasps> Wow, a car thief in my neighborhood. That's exciting. Wow. You know, it just kind of blew my mind. You know, yeah. I, and I believe them. Cop told me it's true. Yeah. Right? Then it happens again two weeks later. Different cop. Same same story. Wow. I'm like, uh, uh, something's not quite right here. Yeah. So then I questioned him one time. I said, uh, well, if I stole this car from this neighborhood early this morning, why would I still be driving it around the same neighborhood this afternoon? <laughs> Sir, you're free to go. Yeah. No, I, I want to know why, sir. You're free to go. Yeah. Right. So uh, one time, uh, and, and now this was back in the 70s. Yeah. All right. I got my license, my driver's license, when I turned 16 in 1974. Just a couple years ago, I'm taking my wife, okay, who's white, mm-hmm. um, out to the movies. And she's sitting in the passenger seat. We're not five blocks from my house. Same county, d- yeah. different different little town. And... um. We're going down the road. There's a cop about um, two two cars behind me, and he's not paying attention to me. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so I'm in the right lane. He pulls out. He passes the car next, right right behind me. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna pass, you know. And he now he's riding side by side. He looks over at me and passes, and then he drops back, and he gets behind me. I'm not doing anything. Mm-hmm. I just kind of I, I told her he's gonna stop me because you're in the car. Yeah. Right. And, sh- you know, he, he rods about maybe about a half, about a half a mile or so. Mm-hmm. Puts on his things, pull over. And she goes, you weren't doing anything. I said, no. But the fact that you're in the car is a problem. Mm. And so pull over. And um, he asked for license registration. He goes back. Now they got the computers in their car. And he comes back. <clears throat> Sir, the reason I stopped you, you know, you, were, you, you crossed the, you know, the yellow line. I said, no, I didn't. Yeah. He goes, Sir, you did. I said, no, I did not. And um, he says, well, I'm just making sure, you know, that, you know, you're not intoxicated. You don't appear to be intoxicated. Uh, you're free to go, Mr. Davis. I said, I, I, I said, I know I'm free to go. I said, but I did not cross the line. And then he squats down and looks over here at my wife. Mm-hmm. He goes, ma'am, are you okay? <laughs> and before she could say, I'm, I'm fine, I, yeah. I went like this, stop her. I said, officer, my wife is fine this evening. How's your wife doing this evening? Mm-hmm. He goes, Mr. Davis, you're free to go. Stay in your lane. Oh, my God. But what do you think the answer is to kind of help 
rid that mentality in the police department? Because I don't uh, believe I'll tell defund, you exactly. Yeah, I'll tell you exactly. Because I don't think defund defund the police is the right answer. That that, that term has been. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a knee jerk reaction. Yeah. Overcorrection, which usually yeah. never works. <clears throat> okay. I'll tell you, you know, people don't want to talk about the elephant in the room. They don't, Oh, you know, we had a black president. Racism is over. Well, that's ridiculous. Okay. Exactly. But, yeah. All right. So in order to join the police department and you know, I, I helped get rid of one of our police chiefs mm-hmm. where I live, uh, my, myself, uh, the NAACP, the uh, this, uh, Hispanic association, she was just a racist, mm-hmm. and and the county executive was terrible as well. Mm-hmm. All right, but uh, anyway, uh, we got you know we got some some new police chiefs in the mm-hmm. interim who were great. Mm-hmm. All right, anyway, um, <clears throat> when you join the police department in our place, mm-hmm. in our county, uh, I, I'm all pro law enforcement if they do their job, yeah, and they do it honestly. My dad was a law enforcement officer before he was a foreign service officer. I pointed out he was one of the first black secret service agents in this country. Mm-hmm. Okay, he trained police, all right? So he knows how they operate. But anyway, mm-hmm. no police officer worth his merit wants to have his badge tarnished by some jackass out there acting up, engaging in police brutality, taking bribes, mm-hmm. doing wrong things, because that paints a brush across the entire department. Do you think the good cops on the Minneapolis uh, Police Department have any respect for Derek Chauvin? Yeah, who murdered George, who lynched George Floyd. Yeah. No, they don't want their badges tarnished because of some jackass. All right. Mm -hmm. So if there's so many good cops, why don't they get rid of the bad cops? Why don't they weed them out, report them, et cetera? Because they have something called the blue wall of silence, the blue code of silence. They don't snitch on each other. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, the mafia has that omerta. It's called the same thing in Italian. Mm-hmm. It's called omerta, mm-hmm. a code of silence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have little, if you have siblings when you were growing up, you know, you didn't snitch on each other. If you did, your, your siblings some didn't did. like you. Yeah, <laughs> some did. And you didn't like them either for snitching, Mm-mm. right? Okay. Yeah. Cops do not like yeah. snitches. Right, right. Unless, unless it's a criminal snitch that's giving them information so they can you sure. know, make, you know, make, their, make their points by, by busting somebody. Okay, but they don't want their fellow cops snitching. So what happens is this, if, if a cop, uh, okay, so you have, you have three categories. You have good, uh, but most people talk about two categories, good cops and bad cops. Mm-hmm. No, there's a third category. We all know what bad cops do. Mm-hmm. A good cop does not do those things, but the good cop will not tell on the bad cop. Mm-hmm. He'll turn a blind eye. You know, I'm not gonna yeah. participate, but I'm, you know, I'm not gonna tell the, the brass, Yeah. okay? Um, a lot of times, you know, when you hear about a drug bust, you know, and we, you know, they found $10,000 in cash and, you know, 15 guns and, you know, X amount of pounds of, uh, cocaine or fentanyl or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, it's usually a lot more. Mm. Okay. So. I gotcha. Okay. <laughs> so, and they, and they, and they save some of these guns for throwdowns. Mm-hmm. You know what a throwdown is? Yeah. Okay. So. Anyway, we know what bad cops do. Good cops don't do those things, but they don't tell on the bad cop. So the third category is called the honest cop. Mm-hmm. The honest cop will tell. And as a result, the honest cop is in a minority group. I don't mean minority in terms of color. Right. I'm talking about in terms of numbers. Yeah. Because they fear for their safety from their own fellow police officers. What happens is, 
they go on a call, and maybe there's a shootout. Mm-hmm. They call for backup. Everybody knows oh, that's Officer So and So. He snitched. I'm not going. I'm not going to respond. Or if I respond, I'm going to go very slowly. Uh, okay. Therefore, jeopardizing that person's safety. There was a very famous um, movie, a True Story. Uh, this guy is still alive. He was an honest cop, one of the most honest cops on the uh, NYPD. Mm-hmm. His name was Frank Serpico. You ever heard of the movie Serpico? Yeah. That's all about that. Okay. I've never seen it, but I definitely know the name. Yeah. He would not even take a free cup of coffee mm-hmm. from, a, from a place. Mm. You know, he, he, oh, I'm paying for it. You know, that way you have, you have nothing to, you know, hold him over you know, in yeah. debt to you. And uh, he would tell on these bad cops out on the street. And he got he oh, he 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 was in help. He, he was needing a backup, and yeah. they came and cops started shooting him. Hit him in the face. Oh my God! Yeah, he's still alive. He went into hiding for a long time, but. Uh, so it sounds like there's definitely needs to be a cultural shift. Yes. Okay. In the force, but yes. also, do you think it's also the people they're bringing in? They are younger. They're. Well, here's how we fix this. Okay, okay. two things. One, there needs to be a mechanism mm-hmm. by which because you know. You have to rely on your fellow cops to have your back. Sure. You know, just like, you know, you, you go to war, you know. It doesn't matter, if, you know, if you're a racist or not, black guy and white guy, you're, you're in a foxhole, you, get, you have each other's back mm-hmm. against that, that enemy, mm-hmm. right? And you fight it back out when you get home or whatever, right? Yeah. That's why, um, you know, Muhammad Ali, okay, who was formerly named Cassius Clay, yeah. the great boxer, um, he got drafted to go to, uh, to Vietnam. Right. And um, he said no. He was a, a religious conscientious objector. Yep. You know, well, you have to go. No, I'm not. I'm not going to go over there and kill those people. Well, we'll take, we'll take your belt away. I already won. Take the belt. Yeah. You can't change that. I won. <laughs> you know, you yeah. can have the belt. Right. You know, we'll put you in jail. Put me in jail. Right? Um, he said, why should I go over there and kill, and kill Viet Cong only to come back over here and be treated like a second-class citizen by my own people. Mm-hmm. Then he said, no Viet Cong ever called me a nigger. Mm. Yeah. Great point, Yeah. right? So, you know, you want us to go and fight for this country, and we're all equal on foreign soil, and when we come back home, we're treated like shit? That was a real travesty. I mean, the fact that they would draft people, black and white soldiers would fight together in Vietnam, which that war was just, God, what a... Cluster. Cluster fuck that was. And then to come home to be treated that way. Right, exactly. One of, one of America's great travesties, truly, right. up there. So um, we need a mechanism mm-hmm. by which, like, for example, if, if something happens in your neighborhood mm-hmm. and, the, and you know, a rape, a murder, or you know, something, and, and the cops come to investigate, there are people in the neighborhood who know what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, they may not have been participatory, but they know the players. Yeah. But they don't want to talk to the cops because they're afraid, you know, that retaliation will happen. Some gang will, you know, set their car on fire or kill one of their kids or, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, so you keep your mouth shut. You don't talk to the cops, right? So what So what do the cops set up? They set up an anonymous tip line. You don't have to leave your name and number. Mm-hmm. Just call, give the information. We'll give you a reward and blah, blah, blah. Right. All right? And so people do that, and they get their information, and somebody gets busted. When the cops cannot solve it, that's the route they go. Yeah. Cops also need some kind of mechanism where good cops can become honest cops without fear of retaliation Mm. from their fellow uh, police officers for telling. Okay. Um, 
That's number one. Number two, as I started to say, in Montgomery County where I live, uh, and I know, I know it happens in other counties as well, they have to take tests in order to be a police officer, oral, mm-hmm. written, and polygraph tests. Mm-hmm. Have you ever used drugs? Have you ever snorted cocaine? Have you ever smoked marijuana? Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever been arrested for DWI? You know, yep. do you have any convictions? You know, on your record, even when you were a juvenile, uh, all that kind of stuff. You know, yep. and you're taking these polygraph tests. Why not ask them? Do you have any animosity towards women, towards black people, towards white people, towards Hispanics, mm-hmm. towards Jews? Or Muslims, yeah, they, they leave those questions off. I agree with you on that. I actually have a friend who is a cop, a mm-hmm. black man, mm-hmm. and he told me one thing I thought was very strange is the physical test stops after the first year. So if you're allowing them to forego physical tests, which I feel you need to be in shape for the most part to be a cop to do your job, especially a road cop. Why wouldn't the polygraph tests or any of these other tests be conducted every so many, uh, so many right. years so you know right. where this Keep mentality is going? Yes. Exactly, exactly. I mean, pilots have to do it. Exactly. And then they're forced to retire to a certain age. Right. I mean, p- pilots, it's so crazy. My dad was a pilot. I mean, they would get um, a 24-hour notification. Oh, you have to go take a drug test mm-hmm. randomly. Mm-hmm. My dad could have been on vacation. He has to do it right. or he will get fined. Right. Right. By the FAA. Well, when it comes to race, maybe yeah. they're afraid what they're going to find out and they'll uh-huh. lose half their force. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's, probably it's, the it's, truth. Right. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. you know, we, we, need, we need to keep mm-hmm. those checks and balances. Absolutely. Um, but they, they have not instituted that. You know, they ask you about, about your drug use. Mm-hmm. Well, why not? About, why not about your, your attitude. I don't want to cop out on the street. You know, you're supposed to separate whatever, you know, you might be. Jewish, mm-hmm. okay, and and now you know their Jews are under fire, mm-hmm. uh, and you're a Jewish cop, and you pull over somebody who's doing weird things in the road. Maybe he's drunk or mm-hmm. or high or whatever, and you pull that person over, and it's a Palestinian. Mm-hmm. Are you are you able to, you know, treat this person equally right. as, as though he was you know, anybody else, sure. or are you going to let these feelings come in? These are things that need to be done. Don't we do that? When um, when you go to court, of course. okay. If if you're a okay, you, you mentioned your dad's a pilot. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, if um, if some aviation person is on trial for something, the first thing the defense attorney is going to ask the the potential juror is: there anybody out there who works in aviation? Are there any pilots mm-hmm. out there? Because they want an unbiased. Jury of your peers. Yes. You know, and if there's a pilot out there or somebody who works in aviation, they're excused. Bring somebody else in. Yeah. Okay, because they don't want, you know, buddy-buddy kind of thing, right? This is what we need to do with, with these police officers. Let's have a, a pristine examination. Mm-hmm. You know, let's talk about the elephant in the room. But they don't do that because they're afraid of what they're going to find out. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right there. I think also the age in which they're recruited, I do find because maybe it is a low, lower paying job to begin with. Mm-hmm. We tend to recruit, and not all of them. I, I don't want it to make it sound like it's like it's like a low end job. It's not right. that. It, no. it, it's actually a very dangerous job. It's a job that you put your life on the line. Highly right. respect them, but I do find the pay grade that they bring them in at is quite low. 
Mm-hmm. So you do tend to get people who are like, uh, it's like kind of a last resort career. Mm-hmm. Not all, not always. Sometimes it is a family thing. You know, my dad right. was a cop. My yep. grand, you yep. know, so I do think those, like you said, it's a multifaceted approach mm-hmm. and like all things, I don't think one size fits all, but I agree. The culture there is so similar to a gang. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, 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 and you know, the, <clears throat> The, the profile, uh, and believe it or not, Time Magazine did something years ago. The profile of a, of a cop and a profile of a criminal is very similar. Oh, which, I believe which, that. Which is why they're able to catch criminals because they can think like one. Yeah, and I'm sure they learn it over time yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, um, Another thing you said, just to change gears for a second, which I thought was very interesting, and I actually do agree with you, <coughs> is you don't believe in Black History Month you feel it should be taught all year long. Okay, so let's talk about that. Uh, Black History Month, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. I don't speak for everybody, it's just my opinion. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, Yes, we needed it at one time. Mm -hmm. I I definitely believed in it. Okay, and I believe that we, I still believe that we did need it. Mm -hmm. But we have reached a point now where it is more detrimental than, than helpful. All right? <clears throat> I remember when Black History Month first came in. I was in junior high school or high school or something mm-hmm. uh, in the 70s. Prior to Black History Month, we had what was called Negro History Week. You ever heard of that? No. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was uh, created by Carter G. Woodson. Okay. And prior to that, we had no black history whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had what was called American History and for all practical purposes, it may as well have been called white history because that's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. White people were, giving, were being given credit mm-hmm. for places they didn't discover and for things they did not invent, all right? And during that time, um, Admiral Perry discovered the North Pole, and that's what I was taught. Mm-hmm. My parents told me, no, Matthew Henson discovered the North Pole. Mm-hmm. Today, Matthew Henson is in the books. But when I was in school, Matthew Henson was not in the books. Right. Okay. So anyway, um, Carter G. Woodson, you know, saw this problem and fought very hard to get some of our history taught. We were finally given one week. It was called Negro History Week. Mm-hmm. And we continued fighting, fighting, fighting to get more. Mm-hmm. We finally were given one month, mm-hmm. which is called Black History Month. We were given the month of February, the, the shortest, shortest month, month of the year. Okay, of course, they're not going to give us 31 days right. when they can give us 28, mm-hmm. right? But we accepted February for two reasons, because it was the birth month of two of our heroes, Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. who freed the slaves, and Frederick Douglass mm-hmm. were both born in uh, the month of February. So we accepted that. Mm-hmm. But then we became compl- um, uh, complacent. Mm-hmm. And we stopped fighting. Yeah. Okay. We needed Black History Month. It was good, all right, because now we're being taught things every February. But here's the problem. Okay. Like I said, we needed it. I supported it. Mm-hmm. Um, but because there was no change, every February we're being taught about the same half a dozen black people. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Harriet Tubman, Booker T. Washington, George Washington Carver, Malcolm X, maybe Charles Drew, and that's it. By the time you get through half a dozen, oh, we did our black thing, time to move on. Yeah. You know, and we move on to March, mm-hmm. which becomes Women's History Month. 
I, I feel the same way about Women's History yeah. Month. All right. Um, and then we never revisit any of those half dozen people that we studied in February. We never revisit them throughout the year. Yeah. We revisit them again next year in February. Yeah. The same half a dozen. But yet we talk about Benjamin Franklin, Eli Whitney, Alexander Graham Bell, Thomas Edison, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Francis Scott Key, you know, all these other ones all year long. We, because we're constantly reinforcing that white history. We, nobody ever forgets who flew the kite and the, and the lightning hit the key. We all know it's Ben Franklin, yeah. all right? But you ask some kid in uh, middle school or whatever, mm -hmm. um, ask the kid in June, who was Harriet Tubman? Oh, I know, I know. Mm -hmm. um, she, she, was that, uh, that, she was that black lady who, uh, who refused to give up her seat on the bus. They got her confused with Rosa Parks yeah. because there's no reinforcement. Mm -hmm. But then next year you hear about it again, Rosa Parks, and Harriet Tubman, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So when you do this, the same black, you know, these, these, are, these are top, I'm not taking anything away from any of those people I named. Yeah. They're okay. some of the, you know, the, the pinnacles of black mm -hmm. history. But what about the guy who invented the traffic light mm -hmm. or the ironing board or many other, the gas mask or many other things? Oh, well, we didn't have time to get to him. We only have February. All right. So. When you repeat the same people over and over and over again, you are subliminally brainwashing the minds of little black kids, little white kids, little whatever kids mm -hmm. into believing it was only a handful of black people that ever did anything in this country. Yeah. And these are them. Yeah, right? exactly. That's okay? terrible. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. so now <clears throat> we had a black president named Barack Obama. Can we not talk about him in September? Oh, we got to talk about him in February because he's part of black history. Yeah. How stupid is that? It's so stupid. Okay, so exactly. So now yeah. I remember as a kid, the Miss America beauty pageant. I remember when black women were not allowed to compete mm -hmm. in Miss America because they were not deemed beautiful. And all the judges back then were white men. All right. Mm -hmm. And there were only two categories, the evening gown and the swimsuit. Mm. Women didn't have to write essays or show any talent. Women aren't talented. We just mm -hmm. want to look at them and objectify them, mm -hmm. right? So the swimsuit and the evening gown. They did not want white men judging the beauty of a black woman, all right? What did that do for, for, for young black girls? What did it do, do for their self-esteem? Yeah, destroyed it. Destroyed it, mm -hmm. okay? Because you, you're, not, you're not as beautiful as some, you know, blonde, blue-eyed, whatever, mm -hmm. all right? So what did we do to elevate their self-esteem. We created what was called the Miss Black America beauty pageant. Mm -hmm. And that gave black women, young girls, something to aspire to. They can get a crown too, mm -hmm. you know, and they competed and it worked and they're happy, right? Finally, the main pageant, Miss America, the big one, mm -hmm. finally opened its doors mm -hmm. to all American women, regardless of the color of their skin. As long as they were an American woman, unmarried, and they fit into this age range, they could compete. Right. And since that time, we have had, I believe, four uh, Miss Americas who've been black, yep. starting with Vanessa Williams and then Debbie Turner, and I forgot the other two girls' mm -hmm. names. So since Miss America has finally come into what it's supposed to be, yeah. we don't need Miss Black America anymore. Right. When are we going to start uh, not needing Black History Month? When can we take the information from Black History Month and distribute it under the umbrella of what it belongs yeah. called American history? And That's we can talk about example. Obama all, all year long, talk mm -hmm. about uh, Garrett Morgan who invented the, uh, the, the traffic light. <clears throat> How many lives do, do traffic lights save? 
if there was no red light and green light. Right. Okay, a black man invented that light. You as a white person, me as a black person, anybody is controlled by a device that saves lives that was created by a black man. Mm-hmm. Okay? But just put it under American history. Yeah. I don't stop being black any uh, after February mm-hmm. any more than you stop being being a woman after March. <laughs> right. Okay? Exactly. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Native American History Month begins right now, November. Mm-hmm. All right? Get rid of that, too. It's American history. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, Asian Asian American Pacifica American Month is May. Get rid of that. Mm -hmm. You know, well, you got got nine months of of Euro-American history, right? (laughs) Right. Just call it American history. Let's put us all in there together. We are backwards. We are backwards. This is America. We all have contributed to the fabric of this country. We all have have made it as great as it is and making Mm -hmm. it greater. Call it American history and give people credit where credit is due. And I don't even feel like it would be hard, considering history is kind of taught in a chronological order for the mm-hmm. most part. Right. I think it would be, I don't want to say easy, but I think it can <coughs> be done where you say, this is what was happening at this point in the black community. This was what was happening. Because at the time, they were basically mm-hmm. segregated. Mm-hmm. And I think you can teach them parallel, side by side, all right. the way down the chronological timeline. Have you ever ridden a subway? Yeah. So we don't you, have them in Florida, but up right. north, yep. Okay, so subway goes from here to here. Mm-hmm. And then it goes back again. Mm-hmm. It just keeps running that same thing. Right. Just say, oh, even, I don't know, I, mean, I don't know if the airport here has, you know, the, 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 the train, the tram that takes you to different terminals oh, and yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, Fort Lauderdale does. Okay, so... Let's let's go back to to the busing situation. Mm-hmm. Do you know who James Blake was? No, I don't think okay, so. Okay, I'm going to tell you who he was. Okay, I talked to him on the phone <laughs> one time. Okay, called him up. He was still living. They call him, and he hated that term. Um, the father, what they call Rosa Parks, mother of the civil rights, mm-hmm. right? They call James Blake the father of the civil rights movement. Okay, he was the bus driver. Oh, okay. White bus driver. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So what he used to do, okay, here's how it worked in Montgomery, Alabama. You're white. You get on the front door of the bus. You drop your coin token in the the thing, and you walk to go sit down. Mm -hmm. If you're black, you get on the front of the bus, pay your token, get off the bus, walk down the sidewalk, get in the back door, and then go sit down. You cannot walk through the bus. Mm, Okay. Okay. And as a black person, you sit as far back as, 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 the, as the next empty seat is. And then you work your way to the front as, as more black people get on the bus. Mm-hmm. More blacks rode the bus than whites because whites most whites had cars, blacks did not. Mm-hmm. All right? So you work your way up. Mm-hmm. All right? If it gets to a point where white people get on, there are no more seats left, the, the seat closest to the front that's occupied by a black person has to give up that seat for the white person. All right? So that's how that worked. All right. So James Blake... Black guys would get on the bus, pay the money, get off, walk back to the back door, step up on the step. James Blake would pull the door shut, trap their leg in the door, and drag them up the street. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. Okay, and then he'd let them go and mm-hmm. that kind of thing, right? And this was going on in different places, too. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, he was still alive back in, back in the mid-'90s. Mm-hmm. Lived in the same house in Montgomery, Alabama, married to the same woman. I called him up and talked to him. He still used the nigger word and 
Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have changed anything. He didn't like black people. Uh, he, he resented that title, uh, father of civil rights. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, so my point is this. All right, so that's how the bus system worked. Mm-hmm. All right? Same thing on the train. You sit in the back. Yeah. But now the subway goes back and forth. So, so how, how crazy would it be if, um, okay, so I get on, on the subway here. I got to sit in the back, and I ride there. But then I suppose I want to go back. I got to switch positions. Now I got to sit here in the front because now the front is the back because it's going back that way. Right. It's, cr- it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. You know? mm-hmm. But that's our system. Do you feel that way about, like, uh, BET? Black entertainment television. Yeah. We need black, uh, black entertainment television. Why? Because, we, you know, listen, we had no, no black shows on TV. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the um, white writers, great white writer of TV shows, Norman Lear, mm-hmm. began introducing that with the Jeffersons and Archie Bunker and right. all that, all, all in the family and, th- and things like that. Um, yes, we need a BET. Because the only roles we could get, pimp, drug dealer, prostitute, butler, maid, chauffeur, you know, subservient roles, subservient to white people. Mm -hmm. What about doctor? What about lawyer? Mm -hmm. You know, what about pilot? What about, you know, whatever? You know, know, they weren't, you know, regular TV was not showing black people in those roles. So we had roles created that reflected. Were there that many at the time? Maybe not, but there were some, Mm -hmm. okay? And, and what we could aspire to. I grew up, as I said before, I'm 65 years old. I grew up with little Opie Taylor from Maybury on the yeah. Andy Griffith Show. I grew up with little Beaver Cleaver and his brother Wally Cleaver on Leave it to Beaver, Make Room for Daddy. Mm-hmm. I, I grew up with Lost in Space, mm-hmm. you know. Lost in Space was Space Family Robinson, um, a little boy played by, by, by Billy Mummy, uh, his name was Will Will Robinson, mm-hmm. uh, beautiful blonde girl Judy. Her name was was uh, Judy on the show. Marta Christian was her real name. Mm-hmm. Penny, another sister, Angela Cardwright, and uh, June Robinson, play, mm-hmm. played by um, June. Uh, I forgot her, her name was June Lockhart. Mm-hmm. She was Mrs. Robinson, and then uh, Guy Williams played um, mm-hmm. Mr. Robinson, the captain. Right? right, all white people, and this and this crazy guy named Doctor Smith, mm-hmm. and and a robot. All right. You ever see Lost in Space? No, I haven't okay, seen it. Okay, yeah. It's the 1960s. Okay. Okay. These people went all over the universe, all over, trying to find the way back to Earth. Mm-hmm. And landed on all kinds of planets. You saw green people, purple people, people with three arms, four eyes. Mm-hmm. Not one black person <laughs> anywhere in the universe. Yeah. Right? Um, who are my superheroes? Batman, mm-hmm. Superman. Aquaman, mm-hmm. The Flash. Yeah. Uh, there was there was nobody who looked like me. Mm-hmm. Little Opie Taylor didn't have any black friends. Little Beaver Cleaver didn't have any black friends. Right. You know? So I'm having to watch all these shows and identify with people who don't even look like me. Right? Um, there were no black superheroes. So the first person that they got that was kind of a quasi-hero... They found the ugliest, ugliest black man to give this, this title to, this, this hero kind of guy, mm-hmm. so we would have something to look up to. You know who that was? No, who? 
Mr. T. Oh, <laughs> Mr. T. On the A team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, they're not going to get a Denzel Washington, you know, some some good looking black guy. I don't think he's like hideous, but I get what you're saying. He's not a Denzel. Exactly. Right. Because you know why? Because they don't want little white girls Mm. screaming and hollering over a good looking black guy. Mm. It was the same thing in rock and roll. All right. I got you. Um, So you know, let's let's shift gears here for a second. Uh, Rock and roll was created by by black people. Mm -hmm. Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Fats Domino, Bo Diddley and a host of other black artists. It was popularized by white artists, Elvis Presley, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, Bill Haley in the Comets, Carl Perkins, Buddy Holly, and many other great you know, white uh, rock and rollers. Right. They would give credit where they got the music from. Yeah, it's true. They were the musicians. But the powers that be, the record companies, the, 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 the authors, the journalists, you know, the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. Mm-hmm. Elvis did not invent rock and roll. He would tell you Chuck Berry was the king. Fast Domino was the king. Right. All right. Um, but they did not want to attribute those things. Mm-hmm. So they did, the, the establishment did not, when I say establishment, that's the polite way of saying the white powers that be. Mm-hmm. Um, they did not like Elvis Presley mm-hmm. when he first came out because he was singing black music and shaking his hips and wiggling his pelvis like a black person, mm-hmm. you know, down on Beale Street or something. Right. right? And that's where all that stuff, you know, um, came. And um, mm-hmm. so... White kids were gravitating to this black music, and parents are getting upset. Mm-hmm. Whoa, whoa, you know, pull them back. So, white record companies realized that, um, you know, that bell had rung. You can't unring it. Yeah. So you got to do something to bring them back. Do you know the? You know the the, the term cover song? Mm-hmm. Okay. The original definition of the word cover song. Like, you know, someone says, hey, you know, do you want to go uh, see a band? And you say, you know, do they play covers or play originals? Mm -hmm. The original definition of cover song meant when a white artist did a black person's song. Oh, interesting. That was the original definition of cover record. I didn't know that. Yeah. That came out during the rock and roll uh, era. Mm. So white, because these white kids were gravitating towards this new sound, it wasn't new for black people. It was new for them. Right. Because white record stations, uh, radio stations, would not play black music. Mm-hmm. A lot of them wouldn't. There were yeah. a handful that would. Right. You know, and and kids always want something different than their parents. Their parents will listen to "How much is that doggy in the window?" Right. Froof, right. And these these white kids were hearing "Wop bop a loo bop a lop bam boom tooty fruity." Yeah. You know, they want they, whoa. What's that? Let's, let's go see that. Yeah. So they started gravitating towards that. Well, then white record companies began putting out cover songs. They would get white artists to do those black songs, mm. like Pat Boone singing Tutti Fruity, Pat Boone singing Blueberry Hill, and oh, other artists okay. covering these songs to lure the white kids back. Unfortunately for them, uh, Pat Boone is a great balladeer. He's not a rock and roller. Mm. But they found a white guy that had that, had that soul, had that feel, right. that could deliver that black sound mm-hmm. like nobody else. And that was Elvis Presley. And when people first heard Elvis, they thought he was black, mm-hmm. okay? Because he had that black sound to his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he would get played on the, on the radio stations, white parents would call and say, get that N-word off the radio. They thought he was, they thought he was black, mm. you know? Um, and so the DJ would call Elvis into the studio down in Memphis. Right. And Elvis was like 19 years old. And say, so uh, Elvis, um, 
you know, how old are you? I'm, I'm 19. You, you can hear the interview uh, on YouTube. I'm 19 years old, sir. And uh, what high school do you go to, Elvis? I go to Humes High School, sir. That told the white parents that this man is white. Because mm -hmm. back in the 50s, Humes High School was not integrated. Oh, okay. So he had to be a white guy. Mm. Okay, well, at least he's white. But why is he doing this, you know, jungle music or whatever, right? Right. So that's, you know, and, and they would not put uh, black artists' pictures on the sleeves. Right. Because they wanted white stations to play these records. So some black people sound black. Mm -hmm. Like Little Richard sounds black. B.B. Mm -hmm. King sounds black. Muddy Waters sounds black. When you hear them sing, you know it's a black person singing. Even though you don't see their face, you, you can tell it's a black voice. Mm -hmm. Nat King Cole had a smooth, silky voice. You know, if you didn't know what he sounded like, he could be white. Yeah, yeah. The no, Platters, sure. mm -hmm. Johnny Mathis, these people. So they wouldn't put their pictures on the thing, but they send the records to the white stations. Mm -hmm. Why the white stations? Because black stations were not that powerful. Um, they only had like 20,000 20, watts. You know, they could broadcast around the neighborhood. Oh, interesting. Right? Okay. And the white stations could broadcast all the way across the state, mm -hmm. you know? Okay. And so the more people that hear the music, the more go out and buy the records. Right. And that's how you make your money. Got it. So you want the widest distribution that you can get. Mm -hmm. so, do, so to this... Obviously, the history is very important. So to this day, do you still think of a station like BET sh should persist? Or do you kind of consider it its own genre at this point? I think BET still has a little bit of a life ahead of itself. Okay. Um, they need to do more his history things mm -hmm. and show where we've come from, how we've evolved, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, which is very important. So, so, that, so that black people know where they came from, especially young black people, because there's a disconnect. And that white people understand, mm -hmm. you know, because I, I hear Clemson say all the time, well, you all got BET. You know, we don't have some white TV station. Yeah. Well, hell, everything was white until we got BET. Right, right. You know? So, yeah, there, there is still a place for, for, for BET. But I would hope that, you know, that they would uh, modify the programming and come into, you know, t take it from the beginning, how it was and mm -hmm. why these things happened. Um, you know, there, there were even uh, movies called Black Blaxploitation mm -hmm. where they would exploit you know, these black people and right. all that kind of thing. So, you, you know, you got to show this history. Right. But as far as Black History Month, we need to now move it into the 21st century because we're, 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 we're subliminally brainwashing kids into believing there were only these half a dozen black people that ever yeah. did anything. No, I agree with that. I, I think also uh, the same for Women's History Month. Yeah. I mean, very few people can name, like, you know, very famous uh, women in history. Right. Um, and I'm sure that goes for all types of ethnicities and minorities during that time. But I agree if it, if you could just take, okay, it's 1860, what's happening here, here, and here. I don't think that's very hard to achieve. Right. Look, I'm not an educator. I'm not the one writing the syllabus. I'm just saying, I feel logically just someone who has a tech background, understands programming, understands, you know, logical mechanisms. I just feel it could be done far better. Do you remember a show... Um, you 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 would have seen it in syndication mm -hmm. called the Jeffersons. Oh yeah, of course. Okay, so you had um, uh, Louise and um George Jefferson. Mm -hmm. Okay, and they were always fighting, always arguing, right. spending money, and doing stupid stuff. You would see them laying in bed together, arguing about something. Mm -hmm. The upstairs neighbors were Tom and Helen. Mm -hmm. uh, Helen was a black woman. And Tom was a white guy. They were married. Oh, right, right. Okay, right? yep. You never saw them in bed together. Mm, yeah. Okay. 
you know, those are things you pick out. Do you know the first interracial kiss on TV? I actually think I do know. It's William Shatner. Right. And, yeah, it's Star right. Trek. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 1969. Yeah. That's, that's not the first interracial kiss ever. It's the first one they want to show on TV. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, um, you know, there was a show called American Bandstand with Dick Clark. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, it was either the 20th anniversary or the, or the 25th anniversary. I remember watching it. And um, so he had, you know, these different rock stars who are, who are mega now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they're starting out back in the 50s. They're on American Bandstand. And so you see them, he show black and white clips. Yeah. Right? And the person would come out singing their big hit song. And halfway through the song, the, the, the live person would come from behind the curtain and finish the song in living color. Oh, you know, uh, right. Today, right? Yeah, yeah. And then at the end of the song, Dick Clark would walk across the stage. And if it was, you know... Patty Page or whoever, mm-hmm. kiss them on the, on the lips, right? Yeah. And the camera would show this. It was a guy, he'd shake their hand, right? Mm-hmm. He kissed all these white women. Camera would show that. Shake the hands of black guys and white guys. Mm-hmm. When the black woman starts coming, Gladys Knight, Martha Reeves, you know, Ronnie Spector, whoever, mm-hmm. um, who, who had a big hit back in the day, here she comes. Um, you see him go to kiss her, and he probably did kiss her, mm-hmm. but the camera panned. And showed the audience, mm-hmm. and then it came back to them after the kiss was over. They wouldn't show that. Yeah. Um, I remember, you know, all these crazy. I, I never watched soap operas, mm-hmm. but I remember it was. I did when I was a little kid with my grandma. But um, it was always a big deal. All mm-hmm. the soap operas were white. General Hospital, All My Children, yeah. you know, The Guiding Light, all these other things. All these white people had all these issues on these soap operas, and um, it was always a big deal when somebody started dating a black person on the soap opera. Yeah. What's going to happen when that person brings her home or brings them home? Yeah. You know? Or even the Golden Girls episode. Yeah, okay. When they found out Blanche's dad really was, uh, I guess I guess she was like the housemaid. I don't know if she was a maid, but she definitely worked at the household. Right. But. So, but mm-hmm. they would always have a light-skinned black person. That's true, yeah. Not a dark-skinned one. Yeah. Because they, they felt it would be too much. Mm-hmm. you know, for the public. Mm-hmm. Um, this is crazy. They are manipulating how you think. Yeah. You know? Definitely. Um, just, just you know, this is what our media does. And it does not reflect real life. It doesn't because even, and, and obviously I'm not comparing myself to the black and white experience there, but even as a redhead, do you know how we are, per, you know, portrayed yeah, in the media? Sure. We're witches. Redheaded stepchild. Redheaded stepchild. We have bad tempers. Mm-hmm. Like, Do you? No. Sometimes not. <laughs> but no, but seriously, and it's like, it's always like a token redhead mm-hmm. part of the friend group. Very right. rarely is the redhead like the front and center. Right. So I, I'm just saying it's not, I don't feel personally like, you know any way towards it. It's just something I have noticed. And right. it's kind of like, no, fuck that. We can be the front. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not that I'm trying to, so we have myself. to, Please so we don't have take to, that out of context. No, no, no. Yeah. So we, we have to navigate mm-hmm. and, and address stereotypes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What, what advice do you give to somebody if they're dealing with this with a family member, black or white, because sure. it can happen, it can happen, happen even yeah. even in Asian cultures, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and it does, it does, because like you know, certain Asian cultures think they're better than you know, 
you know, other Asian cultures. Like I said, nobody has a monopoly on racism. They don't. And, and that's one thing I learned from traveling is that literally every country hates someone else within their country. There are, it, it just, it's not just America. In fact, sometimes I do feel that we do not get enough credit. I know we do have obviously some uh, terrible travesties in our country, but we don't get enough credit for what has happened in this melting pot and how we have made it work, though there are still terrible things that happen. Yeah, because, you know, two things are can be true at the same time. That's right. But either way, what, what advice would you give to someone who is dealing with a family member that has these unfortunate viewpoints? Okay, so I experienced that quite a bit mm-hmm. in a lot of my lectures, um, especially on university campuses, where I will tell you two to three out of every 10 lectures I give, this will happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the lecture, I'm done, but there'll still be some students who want to ask a last question or see one of the things that I bring. So they pile around the podium, and there'll be some students standing in the back of the room or the theater or whatever, auditorium and I've come to learn that person is waiting for the crowd to go away Mm. the crowd goes away he or she comes down and they look around make sure no one's around and they say you know my mother is in the Klan or my father's a neo-nazi or there are there or my parents are in the alt-right or you know whatever Mm -hmm. um and that's how I was raised and now I'm here at university of fill in the blank whatever you want to be um and my my uh, my girlfriend is Jewish, or my or my boyfriend is black, or my best friend is gay, mm-hmm. and oh, I can't go home and tell my parents. My, they, they'll kill me. They'll disown me. And I don't want to tell my friends because they'll drop me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm gonna lose all my high school friends. You know, that's how I was raised. I used to be like that too, mm-hmm. and I totally get it. Sometimes they come from some rural place, or it may even be a city. You know, that has diversity, but they live in some echo chamber or something, mm-hmm. and. <clears throat> It's very homogenous where they grow up, everybody goes to the same high school, they all went to elementary school together, they cheer the same sports team, vote for the same political candidate, swim at the same neighborhood swimming pool, shop at the same grocery store, everything's homogenous. And now they come away to to this college campus, but the neighborhood and high school don't come with them. But on that campus, there are neighborhoods and high schools Mm -hmm. from all over the country, maybe even from around the world. Mm-hmm. And they're seeing things there that they don't see in their neighborhood. Yeah. And they're learning that Jewish people don't have horns and black people don't have tails, mm-hmm. you know, and this, that, and the other. How do they go home and tell their parents that and their friends from high school? So I tell them, listen, you know, um, you must respect your parents' home. Just like, you know, one day you know, you're going to get married and you're going to have kids you're going to have your rules and things. Mm-hmm. Your parents, you know, don't do things exactly like your grandparents did. Right. Each generation has its own little advancements that, that they make. So these are your parents. You have to respect their home. You don't have to have to respect their thought process. But you need to be honest with them. You know, don't force anybody into their house mm-hmm. and force them upon your parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to be good for, for your parents right. or for you or for your friends. Um, but be honest with your parents. Tell them what you've seen. Tell them what you've learned. You know, they wanted you to get an education. They didn't necessarily want that particular education. Mm-hmm. But explain to them, you know, that you've seen this for yourself. This is what you know. And you'd like to invite some of these people home and, um, and get to know them. Some may take a chance. Of, I don't want them in my house, you know. Uh, well, you know, 
if I bring them, you know, can we maybe meet at a restaurant and get to know them mm-hmm. over dinner or coffee? Uh, well, well, we'll see. You know, just work it that way. Right. But respect your parents' house, okay? But let them know that they're going to have to make a decision at some point. That, you know, you, you, you come to learn these things mm-hmm. and you're not going back to where it was. And if they want to continue a relationship with you, then they're going to, they're going to at least have to, um, it, whether they accept that person or not, mm-hmm. they're going to at least have to meet that person. Mm-hmm. And then they can make a decision. But to make a decision based upon somebody they don't know, which is my big thing, how can you hate me when you don't know me? Right. Then you are damaging your relationship with me. Yeah. I'm your daughter. I'm your, I'm your son. Okay? I'm asking you as my parent. I'm not going to bring anybody into your house that you don't want here. Right. But dad, mom, I'd like for you to at least meet them. You know, let's do it on neutral ground if you want. Yeah. And put the ball in their park. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't want it to turn into, like, if you're forcing the situation, like that scene in, like, American History X. Right. Where the mom was dating the Jewish guy and then mm-hmm. the neo-Nazi just goes nuts, you know, at dinner. Um, I think that's great advice. I think respecting their space so they mm-hmm. don't feel, like, personally invalidated or, you know, stepped on. Because then the walls are up. Right. And there's exactly. no there's no means of conversation. You don't have to respect what they believe. Right. But respect their right to believe it. Right. Agreed. Well, I could literally talk to you all day. Well, then let's consider this part one and we'll yes. schedule a part two sometime. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much for coming by. Everyone should get your book, Clandestine Relationships. Well, that this book is now out of print. It's been out of print oh, for a little while. Okay. So it's very hard to get. Do not go on Amazon or eBay because some booksellers have leftover copies. And because uh-huh. it's out of print, they jack up the price to some exorbitant amount uh, that, okay. you know, you don't want to pay. And I don't blame you. Um, you can check it out for free. Go to the libraries in the library system. Oh, okay. They can read for free. Uh, or they can wait for the new book. Uh, the new title, uh, the working title, is The Clan Whisperer, which will have everything from clandestine relationships in it. Awesome. Plus updates and news stories. Love and it. so it'll be more comprehensive. This came out in 1997. And as I pointed out, a lot of things have happened since then. Yes. So we need some update. So uh, hopefully uh, the Clan Whisperer will be out maybe spring of next year, 2024. Amazing. And it'll be at the regular price. So. <laughs> and definitely do an audible. You have to do an audible. That's You're going to get your Gen Z, your millennials. I'm going to consult you on that. I'm going to do exactly <laughs> what you tell me. I definitely, because I mean, to listen to that when you're driving or working out, you know, the things that we do now, yeah. I mean, it would be amazing. Of course, I do love that on audibles allow this too. They allow a PDF to go with it. So you can see the pictures. Uh-huh. So, you know, you can still have that part of your book, but yeah. it's such an amazing book. You're such an amazing instrument. You're in an instrument to bridge a gap between two other worlds and we need more people like you willing well, to do that. Let me, let me say this. I'm a musician by trade. Mm-hmm. I have my degree in music. And I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a psychologist. Maybe I should have been. I would make more money than I do playing music, <laughs> right? But um, if I'm just a rock and roll piano player. Mm-hmm. And if I can do this, anybody can do it yes. with the right instruction. You know, I, I gave those five principles. Everybody wants to be loved, respected, heard treat it fairly and truthfully, and they want the same things for their family as we want for ours. Mm-hmm. Apply those principles when we deal with controversy. But music, music is a very important thing. And I, 
Uh, I've, I've had the role of sideman. I worked for Chuck Berry, the man who invented rock and roll for 32 years. Mm -hmm. Not every gig, but I did a lot of gigs. I, I've played behind all kinds of different people, celebrities and non-celebrities. Uh, when I play for them, I am the sideman. I'm making them look good. In the Daryl Davis band, my own band, I'm the front man. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I have sidemen who make me look good or whatever. Um, as a band leader, like in my own band, my job is to foster harmony between all the voices on my stage, whether they are the instrumental voices, the saxophone, the piano, bass, drums, guitar, whatever other instruments are up there, or the vocal voices. I want harmony. The only time I want dissonance, mm -hmm. dissonance is if I want to intentionally inject it into the piece for effect. Right. All right? Right. Because if dissonance happens randomly, that's not music. Right. That's noise. That's somebody hitting a bad note or going out of tune. Mm -hmm. You don't want that. All right? So you want controlled dissonance for effect, if, if you want any at all. Um, so my job as a band leader is to create harmony between all the voices that mm -hmm. blend. Yeah. It, it's, it's pleasant to the ear. When the gig is over and I step off the bandstand, and the lights go out, and now I'm out in society, I want harmony around me in society too. Yeah. I don't want dissonance. And that's why I do this. Yeah. Beautifully said. Absolutely. And I believe music and comedy, but mostly music, bridge people 100%. So thank you for coming by. Thank you I for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. <laughs>